Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the 33rd episode of the Aliens vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your regular host, Corporal Higgs, and with me are my usual cohorts, Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. Xenomorphin. Hola! And joining us today is going to be a special community guest star. It's not Chevy. We're actually going for somebody a little different this time. If you're a member of the forums, you'll know him as Who the Fuck. If you are on Facebook or Wikia, you'll know him as Lee Byrne. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. That's all right. Thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to get some different voices on there, even if we are, once again, drowning Ridgetop out with the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind. Oh, you love it. Today we're finally going to do the episode that we've been promising for about three months, and that is the Alien Engineers episode. Before we crack on and talk about that, though, I was hoping that, Lee, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the community. Uh, well, my first memory of getting into the uh, Alien series was uh, back when I was I was very young at the time, definitely too young to be watching a, a movie like an Alien film. Uh, it was, I think I was still at primary school. There was only five channels on the TV at the time. so um, And I remember watching Alien 3 uh, one night. I can distinctly remember the sequences at the end where it's chasing the prisoners along the walls and the ceilings. That sort of imagery really stuck with me. And then a few years later, I, uh, I caught Alien Resurrection. Uh, I remember recording it off the TV. Uh, and then I had a, a bunch of my friends over from school. We all had a sleepover and we stayed up and watched that. And then I didn't actually see the first two uh, until many years later. I went into HMV and they had one of their buy so many videos, get another one free deals going on. Uh, and it included all the Alien films. So I, I picked them up and then I, I think I marathoned them over the course of a weekend. And that was the first time I saw alien and aliens this was quite a long while later i think i was at secondary school possibly even university by this point uh, and aliens pretty much immediately became my favorite film of all time uh, and alien as well is one of the very few horror movies that's actually managed to scare me so you know for that it was uh, <laughs> immediately quite memorable as for the predator films i i've always always been a fan of arnie's movies so i imagine that's probably how i came to the first one i didn't actually see predator 2 for quite a long time just it never seems to be on tv in the uk and i never seemed to come across it on video either at the time uh, and at university i had a, a friend my flatmate actually he had it on dvd and uh, he brought it down and uh, we watched that and that was my first experience with that and then sort of from all that my interest in the films um led me to stumble across Xenopedia, the wiki. Uh, and I was just sort of, I just dropped by infrequently at first, sort of, you know, dabbling here and there. And it's just kind of snowballed from that uh, to the point where now I'm one of the administrators on the site and uh, sort of the, the one of the most active editors at the moment. Um, it's, you know, just, it's quite a big project, sort of trying to tidy it all up, smarten it all up and sort of make something a little bit more... Uh, reliable out of it so uh, that's where we are now um, so that's a little bit about who the who the fuck so we'll crack on now and we'll we'll talk about what you uh, what you're listening for before Prometheus there was untitled alien prequel and you know there's various bits of drama about the um, the development of the film and I'd actually say it's quite as interesting as Alien 3's development. Um, 
you know lots of uh, lots of info there about it for this one there's a fair bit more visuals prepared for us as well um you know a lot of concept art uh, which really you can sort of see the how to word this you know there, there was a film near enough conceptualized and ready to go right there up until that last moment it does sound like they got a lot further with it than they did as you said with alien 3 any of the mm. rejected scripts for that they were sort of thrown out quite early in the development process whereas this it sounds like they were almost ready to go with it when they said when they suddenly decided you know to change the whole deal mm. and i think that shows a lot in um in the comparisons between between the script that we're going to be talking about and the actual film because a lot of those removals when you see the solid foundation that this script was you start to see the haphazardness of how it eventually turned into prometheus yeah so the, this particular script that we're going to be chatting about alien engineers is uh, the only one of john spates's um, drafts that uh, ended up online um, there are a fair uh, there were i think five drafts uh yeah so when this when this leaked um i tweeted him and asked him uh, john spates the original writer about it and he did say there were five significant drafts um with quite a few smaller um you know edits and stuff and this particular one was nearly the last don't think it was the actual last because there were a few bits and bobs that he commented about um losing from this in in the next script uh, which were specifically some of the opening bits which would be the underwater dig site and the space station Wayland's wheel that we'll talk about later so that's that's a brief sort of intro about it earlier earlier titles for the film were alien zero one genesis alien origins uh, alien tomb of the gods and uh, one title which uh, I must admit, amused me because they did show um, the graphics for it on the Furious Gods documentary. Uh, one title was LV426, and it was all done in Roman numerals, which I, I must admit I wasn't too keen on, but it did kind of tickle me because it was all sort of very symmetrical looking. And Paradise was, of course, a title for the uh, for the script and for the film. Uh, but like I said, this this particular one's Alien Engineers. So let's start a lot of this is going to be very familiar because it does um, does form a lot of the foundations for Prometheus there is massive similarities between the two but they're generally the broad strokes and you'll see that throughout so the script opens in uh, 12,000 BC on Earth Spates makes it quite clear that this is intended to be Earth and like with the film uh, we'll start with volcanic mountains below us landscapes below us and um, a raw natural world no trace of civilization as he puts it in the script and we get to the ship the shadow uh, glides over the over the landscape and eventually comes to stop and out come three figures and these are the engineers as we know them although there are some slight differences between the engineers as they are presented in the script and in Prometheus they're generally described as being significantly taller in in spaces stuff you know much like um, people envisioned them uh, from alien i think he said 15 feet yes yeah, so at one point i think he does uh, where is it yeah later on when um, the crew comes across them uh, they do describe them as being 15 feet tall 
and a lot of the description at that point is more in line with kind of what you'd expect it sounds very biomechanical very much an infusion of um, a mechanized suit and a biological suit which was a bit quite interesting to read actually earless as well which i thought was yeah slightly odd was was that ever because you know we sort of it's mentioned a few times in the script, like that they they have no ears, which I just thought was a slightly odd, slightly mm. odd change. Um, what was the the David statue that it was all based on? Does was that a thing of that one? I can't really remember because you know they no, make a big that, deal. No, that that had ears. Okay. Uh, okay. So, like in Prometheus, you know, it starts with uh, well, the the three of them was a deleted thing from the film, but it was filmed. The sacrificial engineer brings up a a cake, I suppose they describe it as in the script. And again, it says very much the function as the um, that initial black goop did at the start of Prometheus, where it breaks him down. Difference here is that they're actually described as being um, scarabs that sort of, I guess, eat him for want of a better yeah. um, description. I think it was going for like an Egyptian, yeah. a vague Egyptian link with that, and also because you have the, I think there are, there's the you know Egyptian motifs on the Wayland Industries stuff as well, so I think it might have been going for that. Well, there was a very sort of um, Egyptian theme to a lot of the the first yeah. film as well, wasn't there, with the original logo because it had the. Um... The wings, I suppose the yeah. Horus wings. I and pl- guess. plus, of course, in this version, you actually see actual pyramids. It's not just like mm. an ambiguous mound. Yeah, yeah. So again, the rest of that opening plays out very much the same. The engineer sort of collapses and falls away, and it, rather than implying that the DNA is sort of thrown into the stew of the earth, it quite clearly shows you in in uh, Alien Engineers that the scarabs are intended as some sort of delivery system for updating quotation marks updating the dna of mankind because you do see it um do see one in particular go and bite um bite a, the the script describes it as a primitive woman who's sat there sort of looking on in amazement at this massive spaceship that's hovering off in the distance and it quite clearly states that that's what's happening that's what they are doing it's basically it's taking the engineer dna and it's going out into the wilderness and just injecting all the life forms it, i don't think it it specifies that they're only going after human humanoid life forms they're just going after everything in the ecosystem uh, unlike the final film it does specify that this is earth um because you later see a scene where the there's like an ancient volcano by where the um engineer sacrifices himself and then it cuts to holloway and shaw and their their dig site which ends up being underwater in this original one is yeah. is right by the volcano that we saw uh during that sacrificial scene whereas if in interviews later scott and uh lindelof were saying oh this could be earth or it couldn't be it doesn't really matter but in this screenplay it was clearly uh meant to be taken as, as earth but even then the prometheus script that did get leaked does say earth on it but that sort of ambiguity really sort of came out you know when they were editing and advertising the films on, on the uh the, the blu-ray as well i think it mentions on some of the deleted scenes that that scene is meant to be earth i mean mm. yeah make of that what you will a bit of text on the blu-ray but it is mentioned on there i think yeah it definitely comes up definitely comes up and 
that very similar opening leads us into when things start to get very, very different, I think. I must say, I did like how this script described the visual segue because it it, it makes you think it's like a, a star field and then the camera kind of like, well, I think it resolves somehow into realising that what you think are individual little pinpricks of light and stars, they're actually plankton floating in the water, which I, I would have actually really liked to have seen as a visual. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a good image, isn't it? Yeah. I think the whole sequence that's coming up would have been actually really interesting visually to see. Mm. Um, because as Ridgestop said, it's, it's an underwater excavation, which yes. is slightly more interesting... Um, and what they end up finding is slightly more interesting than um, the whole cave painting aspect of, um, of the finished film. Yeah, I think sight on us, even if you're just watching Prometheus, a lot of people, you don't have to be a scientist, but you, you do think this is really flimsy evidence that they've got to launch a trillion dollar expedition. And in this version, you have a lot more like concrete, hard evidence, even this bit that that's you segue into it's you know it's an obelisk it's got definite data engraved on the thing there are no two ways to interpret it mm. unlike the very hand wavy nature of the cave paintings in prometheus yeah and the fact that it's actually shown as a definitive star map yeah that's what i say yeah i think yeah. they call it an if um what is it um ephemeris yeah it, it, and it is an actual antique way of laying the stars out and it's um i would have just loved to have seen that it, it actually reminded me a little bit of like the when you go back into the making of alien do you remember giga's hieroglyphic thing i get a feeling it might have been in that kind of style would it laid out graphically it would have certainly been interesting to see and of course we get another big difference here and that's there is no um there's no shore in uh, this iteration, and I don't I don't really know when the change came actually. She, her character was known as uh, Jocelyn Watts, and something else is she was I think her and most of the characters in Spacer script are significantly older. Well, I know Holloway's in there, and he is older than Watts. He's um, described as forty nine, I think. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, around there. Yeah, forty eight. So he's definitely is, the older. Vickers is said to be quite a bit older as well, from what I remember. Yeah, she's Vickers is forty five. So you get a lot more um, like maturity in the um, engineer's script. Mm. Just, I just wanted to point that out actually, because I always forget that. But yeah, the the we said that it's an underwater um, excavation, and what happens is they're there in deep submersibles. They know what they're there for, and they look in and they find an obelisk buried away, in in this underground. Um, city I suppose it's supposed to be because there's multiple sites that they're looking at yeah like ruins I think mm. what I also find interesting is that in various other drafts they had them discovering um, discovering ruins in different places and one such place that they talk about is discovering ruins on Mars uh, which I thought would have been uh, an interesting angle to explore it literally being on another planet but I can kind of see why they took it away because that the discovery in itself would have made it a bit easier to convince people that you know extraterrestrial life existed and that's supposed to be one of the challenges they face as well yeah. um, while mm. trying to trying to sell the uh, the expedition uh, it would have been nice but i can see why they decided to make it earth earthbound and so you know they they take the stuff they found down there you know they head on back up to the surface which like ridgetop mentioned is where you 
uh, end up finding out that this is supposed to be the same location from the start of the script. Isn't uh, it the Mediterranean, I think? Yeah, that's how they describe it. Yeah. And they get all this stuff and they run through it and they figure out that it's a star map and they find the solution. They find the location. Now, I like that, that all that is a sort of slow start to it and the script presents you with more concrete evidence and makes it quite clear that this isn't, you know, snap judgments. Um, yeah. And it's it's well researched. I really enjoyed that. I liked, and that is a theme that I think continues throughout the whole draft. Is that there's a lot of um... decisions seem better thought out in this. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Rather than just happening. Yeah. Also, um, I'm just going by the notes that I did when I was rereading the script. Um, they do point out that they've, as you say, they've found many dig sites all over the world. But they've also noticed this same style of writing, this same alphabet. And it's clear that from that, it is definitely all the same culture that has been responsible for exactly the stuff, same stuff that they found in all the different dig sites. Whereas in Prometheus, you, as I say, you do get this. Yeah, it could be, it couldn't be. But in this script, you're definitely left. There's absolutely no doubt. And um, even when they're, they're finding this astronomical data on this obelisk, you have Holloway, he's saying, well, if we can extrapolate, you know, the equinox and this and that and the other, we could have something which might lead us to a definite position in the, you know, in, in the sky, as it were. Um, whereas with the cave paintings, you just have these, you know, was it four or five little blobs of planets? And it's really difficult to think, you know, you're a scientist, you're going to need way more than that. And this, you have all of the, it just satisfies you when you're just sitting there and thinking, okay, you're a scientist, I'm a layman, I don't want you to do techno babble, but I want you to have more reason, more motivation for having a passion to go out there into the stars in the first place. And you, that comes across so much better in this version of the script. Definitely. And again, we're going to get to another bit that I think shows that kind of thing as well, which is Wayland's. Um... Wayland's introduction and I think as we'll start to talk about I think his motivations are much better realized and make far more sense uh, considering the the evidence that is going to be presented yeah this whole section here um, which was apparently removed um, in the next draft I it's very reminiscent of 2001 in a lot of yeah. visuals that That's are described. exactly what I was going to say yeah how did you like that? I don't know. It was like it. I could see what they were going for, but I think it was a bit too on the nose. Mm. It felt a bit too much like just rip off. Mm. Do you think it would have been out of place? I, I kind of think it would be. We've never seen like a circular style space station in the Alien universe before. The the whole Wayland's wheel they were talking about. Um, I mean, if if they had done it in a in a style that would have been in tune with Alien, I think it could have worked. But it. it did seem, and I mean, 2001's a great movie, so if they want to pay homage to that, that that's fine, but it did seem like it might be a little out of place. I'm glad I'm not the only one who, uh, who felt like that. Was it in um, Earth Orbit? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so you might have, if you'd have watched it like as a new film, you might be wondering why in, when you get to Aliens, there's um, a gateway, you know, so gateway station, yeah. it looks a bit more primitive than that you'd, you'd have expected more of a technological progression and of course that's a problem that a lot of people tend to have with the finished film in, in the yeah. Prometheus ship um, I think 
while we have that issue here quite early on, I don't think that same sort of thing plagues the rest of the script. No. There's, no. there's, there's certain elements of it where it does feel a little bit... Um, but for the most part, I think it's um, a lot better done, more in the vein of a tougher future, uh, like yeah. Alien and Aliens Present and Alien 3. You get some interesting insight because there's this meeting with Wayland and you do have these little interesting bits of dialogue where you do understand Wayland's motivations for who he is. Um, there's one line that he says where he asks himself basically, what does God spend his time doing? And then, and then I go and do that. And that was a nice little um, mm. sort of monologue. You could totally picture a man in his position with those kind of resources. Um, he's very much like an Elon Musk type guy. And you could totally... I don't think Elon Musk has that kind of ego, though. (laughs) No, you know, a a pioneering, uh, you know, a a guy who's trying to visualise the future and bring it towards the the here and now. Little turns of phrases like that I quite like because you did encapsulate his whole, um, or at least in that version of the script, that version of the Wayland mentality. I think the same can actually be said for a lot of the characters in this. I felt like one of the things that was missing in Prometheus is there was no little moments that humanised them. Like, the character development there was felt just far too blunt. Mm. Whereas in this, there was lots of little subtle moments yeah, I did like that out, later yeah. on camera of one of the crewmen. There's just a little moment where he crosses himself because he's, you know, anxious about what they're going to find. Yeah, it was just the little moments like that made them feel far more human. Hmm. I, th- I think the dialogue as a whole felt a lot more natural than what we ended up with in the final script. But there were a couple lines that that did survive, and even some that were used for for different characters in different places in the final version. I think a lot of David's. Um... As we get on, David starts to get a bit of um, He's a bit too, yeah, overtly evil <laughs> yeah. for no reasons that are really explained. I think that there's quite a few similar lines um, between the script and um, what Lindelof kept for Prometheus that I think work really well in both of them. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some lines where I think it would have totally depended on who would have ultimately played David. Um, like, there's there's this one line which I I don't remember him being in Prometheus, but I read it and I thought, oh, that could have been... It could have sounded cheesy or it could have sounded really good, whereas someone asks him, you see yourself as a Superman? Yes. And he says, no, not a man at all. And it's this very subtle dig at the language, and I thought I would have mm. liked to have seen Fassbender turn that, because it's one of those things where it's just a few words, but it... Encapsul- again, it encapsulates a lot about what the character is and who they are. Yeah, completely agree. I, I couldn't get Fazbender out of my head when I was reading this. And yeah, I'm glad it's not just me. I was I was reading the David lines in Fazbender's yeah, David. Yeah, voice. his voice. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you know, as I directed it in my head, um, I thought he would have done that that particular moment that you you're talking about. Yeah. The, that would have worked that really, really fast so well. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, you know, we start to um, head towards this big spinning wheel in space, Wayland's wheel. And again, it maintains quite a steady pace. Um, I can sometimes see at points why it was sped up a little bit, but I think a lot of these earlier, slower uh, moments really help, um, really help the script, actually. 
And there's mm. there's more sort of uh, 2001 little playthroughs in this bit here where Holloway is batting a pen from hand to hand in um, zero G, which is what um, it's been so long since I've seen 2001 actually. But what one of the what the main character one of the main characters does on the shuttle while he's going towards the space station in in that film and they're sort of planning how they're going to be presenting it there's a nice line here that's let our ancestors tell the tale and they are confident in what they've got and quite rightfully so and so eventually they get onto um on onto the space station and you get a little bit of insight into the fact that these guys are lovers and they don't make a massively big deal out of it which uh which was nice. And again, as, as we get through more of the description of the space station, it's still sounding very, very 2001. You know, an Eames era future furniture in wood and chrome. And like we said, I'm, I'm kind of glad that that was that bit kind of aesthetic was uh, excised. And we get into another difference here, which is the introduction of David. Because whilst he's uh, the, you know, the gorgeous uh, Michael Fassbender and Prometheus, and insanely lifelike. Um, in engineers he's not supposed to be you know you're not supposed to be able to mistake him for a human which is something i would have been quite interested to see because you know it in, doesn't really explain how. why it's obvious yeah. that he's not human so i can't remember really seeing any concept art of you know the prototype android but and it might have been a little too on the nose with the whole prequel aspect of it not supposed to be in you know it's supposed to be leading up towards alien and what I quite liked about this version of the um, the script, as opposed to the um, the Prometheus, the eventual thing we got from Prometheus, was that in this one, David, he's not already been mass produced as the um, some of the promotional videos Prometheus had it. He is the only one in existence. He's just a single prototype. Um, I think he's labelled. Part, um, he's a representative of what's called the AT series, the eight zero AT series, but he is the only one there. So all the um, stuff which later happens in his, um, if you want his programming, his development, call it what you will, the changes that happen there, you, the, you I can see the ha- how if I'd have watched it, I could have like head cannoned it that like it, it's because he's a prototype because he's not as fully formed as the later production models would have been so i think that in itself already does some foreshadowing of he you know he could go a little bit ash like definitely and we get a little bit of world building um after david's introduction as well um you know you're starting to get a sense of David's walking you through the station and he's telling them bits and bobs about all these displays and stuff and you know makes it very clear that Wayland's out there he's mining other other planets asteroids and what have you and then it, it brings up Mars which is um, as David describes it Wayland's crown jewel and then we start to get into what will eventually turn out to be um, Wayland's main motivation for going along with with the mission and that's Wayland's attempting to terraform Mars and it's not going massively well no and so that's just you know that's just a little bit of setup for when we do actually get to meet Wayland and he's somewhat different to Guy Pearce as Wayland you know he's not presented as 
a frail old man who's um, you know out to extend his life he's how does it describe it a country sage horse sense and hard knocks he might be 70 years old or 170 which i wasn't really quite sure how i would have liked that makes it sound very sort of sat behind his desk with a texan hat on and <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> i don't know it's kind of not too far off the um the lance henriksen wayland in avp that's true Speaking of um, EVP, one of the things I thought was interesting was the whole illusion that perhaps alien technology played a part in creating some of the tech we had seen in the alien films, and that was kind of alluded to in AVPR at the ending for that. And with this one, it, for me, I took it as, oh, the um, the terraforming technology that we saw in Aliens you know that the atmosphere processor was kind of shaped like a pyramid mm. so maybe they were going for like wayland got his hands on some of this technology and that is how he was able to create those atmosphere processors the the connection i did notice that and especially when it starts to talk later on because um as you as you get through the script we get to these pyramids on um on lv426 that are there as atmospheric processors and one of them makes a comment about it, it might have been halloway makes a comment about perhaps the pyramids on earth were done in um you know yeah. in, in reverence of these structures they mm. were trying to emulate what we had seen already being put mm. there, yeah. so i did sort of think about the um the shape of the atmosphere processor in in aliens at that yeah. point which which i must admit they've, they've given me a nice little smile mm. it, it was you know a nice sort of prequel angle to it because you know when they did this script um well it's not you know they don't get back to earth in uh, by the end of uh, alien engineers but it was originally going to be envisioned as a um as a two part type of thing and some of the earlier reports often talked about how it, it was going to be a, a multi part series potentially two potentially three and so you know there was room for that kind of angle to be explored later on with David getting back and all this information that he'd learnt about getting back into Wayland's hands and I did quite like thinking that perhaps he was sort of going to play with that alien side of it uh, as well as just the alien um, as just as well as just the alien future. Well you, you do have that um, the technology aspect come up it could have been Vickers but I'm pretty sure it's at this section of the script Wayland and he says to um, Holloway and Watts he basically says Look, you got you want to uh, my I also like the fact that Wayland says right from the back, he says, you know, I've had my people of my scientific division, they've gone over your theory, they've looked at your evidence, they find it's flawless. So again, you have reinforcement of that. But he says to them, look, you, I know you want to go off, you want to do your scientific thing. If you find something, it's yours. You want the glory, it's yours. But any technology you find, that's mine. Mm. And I thought that that again it was a nice li you know it's it's tr relatively trivial but it gives you an insight into how this version of wayland his mind works he doesn't care but if there's technology if there will it will give him an advantage for what he wants to do that he's having the rights to that he doesn't care about any of the rest and that you know it felt very truthful to how you could imagine how the you know the people who originally led Wayland or Utani, their mentality would have worked to have got to that stage as we see in the later films. Yeah, and they also make a point out of 
evidence of terraforming on Earth, uh, you know, it do, it doesn't become baseless assumptions. Yeah, it's it's there as well as the genetic upgrades to, um, as he says, upgrades in quotation marks to mankind. There is evidence of um, climate yes. change. Yes, I I, th- I think that comes up later when um, David speaks about the theory. But I quite like that in this it's in Prometheus. It's all about they want to go out to where these engineers might have been just to like meet them and see who they are. And there's this kind of thing question mark hanging over it of okay, you've you've met them now what? Mm. Whereas in this version of the script, it's much more interesting because Holloway's theory dictates not only do these engineers exist, but he's noticed that they've been coming to Earth every... um, About 1,100 years or something. Yeah, 1,100 years. And he noticed there was a pattern where the human genome had been kept on updating every time. And again, it had been coinciding with these climate change this climate change data and all of a sudden it stopped uh was it um no further change had been found i think it's about 17 centuries and then six and then all of a sudden it stopped and they really want to go out there to find out why it stopped not why did they do it in the first place which gives a whole new extra layer of mystery to it because right from the get-go you're thinking okay they know they that we've been they've been coming here but the mystery is about what stopped them coming here. What has made them suddenly decide at a point in our civilization where it's not like we would have been a threat to them, but they suddenly stopped. And that, that makes it a much more interesting mystery if you have that in the audience's mind right from near the start of the film, because then they're wondering, oh, it's not just about whether ETs came here. It's about what has what has suddenly changed this game plan that they've clearly been you know, on an ongoing pattern of centuries, thousands of years, whatever, it's clearly been a big game plan and something has stopped it. And that's always been that kind of like here be dragons thing that's always been right at the forefront of the Alien series. They did allude to the Jesus thing directly in this script, uh, albeit Holloway was kind of joking, but but they did bring up that point. How do we feel about that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, not really a fan, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, me I, I, like, it, It's one of those things where I think it's always going to come across as just kind of silly. Too cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah, Which part, the only... Jesus part specifically, or what? As in the engineer being... Yeah, the idea that exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, What I did like in this, in terms of ancient astronaut stuff, when I was watching Prometheus, I always thought there are loads of these dark legends throughout, you know, different cultures, and I'd have loved to um, to have had them bring up little legends and stuff within the thing. Whereas in this one, they do bring up little quotes from mostly from the Bible. I think there might have been one or two from other places, but they do actually bring up these little quotes about giants from the sky and all the rest of it. Um, Aside from the Jesus stuff, but they do mention that much more in here, which I quite liked. Yeah, I did. I quite like the the more subtle sort of where they're just relating quotes from the Bible to what they now know. But the actually that really saying worked. that Jesus was an engineer, I think that no, was just pushing yeah, it too yeah. far. Absolutely agreed, yeah. 
Uh, I think, and and it was jokingly said in the script, so it wasn't like they were directly theorizing that. No, it no, was just yeah. kind of alluded to. But I think there's only so far you can take the ancient astronaut theory before it becomes a little silly. Mm. And, and that was my problem with the final film. And I did notice that a bit in the script, even though I, I did think for Spaeth's second major screenplay. I think it was his third, actually. Really? I thought The Darkest Hour was his third, and this uh, his first, and this one was his uh, his second. I think prior to this he'd done it was The Passenger and Shadow Shadow Nineteen. Oh, I see. I uh, guess The Passengers just hasn't been hasn't come out yet. I think that's the one with um, they're doing it, and it's the one where the guy wakes up on his own and and he wakes somebody else up out of stasis to uh, keep him company basically I think they're working on that one at the minute sounds like Pandorum if any of you guys saw that one I did catch that one actually yeah I mildly enjoyed that film it was like I thought it fell apart a little bit towards yeah. the end but... they tend to nowadays don't yeah. they yeah yeah. which is one of those I've still that's... got to get around to if you like dark spaceship movies it, it does its job it's it's fun but kind of going back to the screenplay I think that the science was even in this one it was a little flimsy i mean it was already kind of difficult enough to buy that you know evolution was spurred on by the black goo and here it's by like these scarabs Insects, that bite people yeah. and then they go into oh well the climate was also dictated by these engineers and it's like eh, that's kind of stretching it in reality there is um there is a theory that evolution um Mankind's step up in evolution was caused by significant climate change at the time. Um, just to sort of go off point and be kind of nerdy here. Due to the elliptical of the orbit of the Earth, so when it sort of got further away from the sun and there was more drastic climate change, mankind adapted to survive, which I thought was kind of like a nice little semi-tie into that sort of theory. Mm. So it... Because I knew that, it didn't seem so flimsy to me. Yeah, that was me. in the back of my... Now you bring that... I knew there was something in the back of my mind which made me go, yeah, it's interesting, it ties into, it ties into climate change. But yeah, and you, you bringing that up now, yeah, that's that's why it was in the back of my mind, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we keep getting sidetracked by lots of little things here. <laughs> you solved a mystery. Yeah, there you go. And so, you know... We're saying that this this whole intro is is generally more solid. It was it was a firmer foundation on which yes. to base the rest of the movie, which was really That's lacking it. in Prometheus. Yeah. Good um, way of putting it. Yeah. And then Wayland just sort of disappears from here. He, yes. I did quite like that he was just sort of a cameo in this. <laughs> I quite enjoyed I did that. Too. Yes. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. It, he worked better for that being his only appearance. Hmm. Yeah. And it's all sort of fobbed off onto um, Vickers. I think I kind of preferred the film Vickers uh, because she started to get a little whiny to me um, as the script goes on. But rather than having Waylon shoehorned in, I did I did like that change of character. I, th- I think I preferred why Vickers was there in this. In this, it was very clear that she didn't want to be on this mission. Wayland was, was sort of putting her in charge of it and making her go. Mm-hmm. Whereas her role in Prometheus, I thought, was a bit... Like, did she want to be there? Did she not want to be there? Yeah. I thought it was a little bit vague. And, it, you know, they make it very clear that to Waylon, she is the the one to get things done. And, you know, as you eventually find out over the course of the script, he is 
really frigging keen to get his hand on this terraforming technology because Mars isn't going so well for him. Yeah. And as Vickers is, you know, mentioned um, as his right hand, uh, right hand woman quite a few times, it made a lot of sense as well to say, look, I trust this woman. She gets shit done. You go there. You bring me that stuff back, which was an you know again better motivational foundation for it and i don't think they had the daughter thing in this one i no. think little off no. added that that was somewhat shoehorned in anyway i thought yeah it, it was it was more that it just it didn't serve any purpose yeah it was just a random comment towards yeah, the it, end it, it was it was it, intended trying as... to give it emotional resonance but it didn't quite work mm. and it did sort of build into the although it's never in the film but uh, the whole is she an android kind of thing that they tried to spout out in the um, the promotional yeah. rounds because Wayland refers to David as as a son he never had kind of yeah. thing, which you can also take as a slap in the face to it, her being a biological daughter. But yeah. I thought it was sort of kind of there towards that conspiracy theory that perhaps she was an android, his daughter, what have you. Again, another tangent. Sorry. So with that done, you know they agree to the the fines theirs, but technology's Wayland's, and off they trot. And it's not the Prometheus, it's the Magellan, um, which I liked. You know, I thought. Was that one of the original names for the Nostromo? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, okay. Did you have you had the Snark, that went, the Leviathan? Yeah, it went through several. Yeah. Uh, I think the Magellan was jo- more just a Magellan reference okay. than anything. Um, but if you know if there's anybody out there who disagrees um, or knows better, please do let us know. And you get the same kind of sort of intro that David did in the film. You know, he's wandering the ship on his Billy Todd. <laughs> a very sort of. I liked that. I liked that in the film, and I liked it in the script because it reminded me a lot of the original intro for Bishop that was sort of envisioned of him just having a trot around on his own. I think the film does it better. You know, it uses it a lot to build on um, on David's character. Uh, well, cause... in this version, he's not just like learning language and watching films. Like this one, he is literally spending those two entire years analyzing this hot this theory of Holloway's, going over it and over it and over it and over it, and analyzing it from every direction. And you can see that's what he spend his time actually doing, not just like playing basketball and that, which makes more sense from the point of view of why would you have an android using up its energy all the time? You see, I know I always sort of brought into it in the film that he had still done that anyway, so that never ever bothered me um, in the actual film itself. So you know, that's it's very sort of sped up towards that moment when you hmm. when you get the introduction of. Or the waking up of Watson, Holloway, and the whole crew, and there's significantly more characters um, in the script. You know, um, you have the the actual crew of the ship who are separate. You have um, the Wayland Industries people, and then as it eventually moves on, you get the the mercenaries. And there's a lot, a lot bigger cast, and we start to yeah. sort of meet them over the course of this. 
Yeah, and the mercenaries are led by a guy called Shepard, which I'm sure is, an, is a Mass Effect in-joke. Yeah. In fact, in this one, Vickers and Wayland, again, from Mass Effect point of view, those of you who've out there who've played it, it struck me maybe it's a little bit like Miranda in The Elusive Man, that kind of dynamic. It came very much... Um, you know, it, it felt to me very much like that same kind of dynamic. This is where it's all very broad strokes in Prometheus there's a lot of similar uh, similar bits you know they're all having dinner they're all getting to know each other bits of chit chat and um, you know we're introduced to all the characters it makes it very clear at this point that we are heading to um, 12 before 26 this is where the the map led to and again, this is something I think Prometheus fixed because I do not like it being on LV426. Primarily because alien engineers would have us believe that the planet's covered in a shit ton of pyramids and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. metal alloys, not naturally existing things. Yeah. And I don't like the notion that they wouldn't have found all that stuff in in alien and in aliens you know pretty it, much it does sort of allude to the fact that um you know the stuff's being eroded away it's not all pristine anymore but it it felt better to me the way um Lindelof did it and had it on some other planet and and again it's it's another thing as well that is a problem i tend to have at the minute with stuff of making it a very small and closed in universe you know? insular yeah no. and I like that well it does eventually get implied that the moon that Prometheus takes place on is supposed to be orbiting the same gas giant as LV-426 it's never really sort of implied in the film but moving it away from that expanded expanded the story out a little bit more which I think was a good move on Lindelof's part yes one of the t scenes that I really liked at this part was when they were first arriving into the system. And unlike in the final version of the film, they saw they didn't know exactly where to go from there. They just had a star, and that was it. And so the ship <laughs> arrives in the system, and all these telescopes come out of the ships and sensor arrays, and they're scanning all the different planets and moons and, and stuff like that to find the most prime candidate that could support uh, installations like they found. Mm -hmm. So I, I did enjoy that scene. As opposed to they knew exactly the planet that they were they were going to from the beginning. I liked how I liked how they described it as well as they scan the system and then it projects everything they pick up onto the the front view screen of the ship. Like oh, they see the actual planet outside and it'll project information onto it. I mm. thought that would would have been like a really visually impressive scene. Mm. Yeah. And as a replacement for the sort of holographic stuff that you, you do end up seeing in Prometheus. I was I was wondering maybe if that was why they dropped it, actually, to sort of stop it stealing that scene's thunder later on. Well, even then, the the mapping stuff later on, um, I think they do overlay it on top of the, the view screen, if I remember rightly. So it would seem that the, that whole aspect of it was, a, you know, a complete completely different to the the holographic mapping later which is one of those things that people tend to complain about in terms of you know everything looks more shit hot than than alien and it's not so much alien but aliens yeah or because on that one they go to earth you see what the, the even the, um, the marines say yeah everything on the solo is meant to be state of the badass art so um 
it's that which is more of the discrepancy than the Nostromo. Well, yeah. You know what I mean. And I didn't think that the overlay thing would have been kind of kind of on the nose as a, as a holographic display. Oh, I haven't talked about the ship, actually. So the Prometheus is a state-of-the-art science ship. The Magellan was not. It was... Um, They're just prospectors, aren't they? Yeah, it was described as a prospecting ship. It's sort of implied as being this worn out worn out battered ship it wasn't specifically designed to trudge off into the far reaches of the galaxy and explore it was something he already had lying about and I say lying about they do make a big <laughs> they do make a big deal out of you know, in his the garage of <laughs> the interstellar stuff being you know still expensive and that but the idea that it was what was available at the time and it being more of a Nostromo-esque worn out working ship was um, something I did quite like as well. Also that plays into the stuff where Wayland is um, they're talking about, you know, he's having a lot of um, terraforming problems but you definitely do get the impression that there are some financial difficulties as well. Yeah. So that would have played more into that side of it as well. And, okay, as I said, we get a large cast here, and we see Chase and um, Raval, who are actually different characters to what they are in, in the finished film. Here, the scientists who work for Wayland. And they are quite sort of standoffish toward Watson Holloway to start with, but as, you know, they start to scan the, um, scan the system and they do start to see these pyramids, everybody's attitude sort of changes. Mm. Um, and you know you don't have Holloway getting all morbid when everybody's dead they are genuinely sort of intrigued by all of this and then yeah. as you start to get on as well they start to be you know creeped out and everything and I did like um, all that slow progressive building up and all the uh, you know taking the time it felt very very first half of Alien yeah. It, it it took its time to show them reacting to what they were finding. Mm. Yes. Which was another thing that was missing in Prometheus. Which again is that very like here be dragons thing. You yeah. do get more of a sense of that in this one than you do in Prometheus. Mm. Also, is it just my impression, or as well as Holloway being older than as she became sure, but in this one, Watts, um, didn't Holloway get a lot more lines in this than? Watts does. Uh, I seem to remember him having a lot more dialogue than he does, the yeah, he Prometheus. Does, he does talk a lot in one. this because yeah, yeah. they're very sort of equal. Um, it's equal very much partners. But it's, yeah. Yeah, he seemed like a much better developed character in this script, and I, I did not really care for the eventual Holloway we saw in the film. No, um, he was a lot more obnoxious in Prometheus, I found. Okay, so everybody's um, briefed on what they're doing here and we're introduced to some of the other characters like you said the the camera of and there's a there's a nice little moment he has when they're being briefed and um, you know Holloway says um, I think all our uh, mythologies are race memories of the engineers Horace yeah. the sun god uh, Prometheus bringing fire from heaven uh, the engineers are the gods and then he has a little moment where he says the mythological gods maybe and you know you start to get a little bit more insight into uh, all the different characters and how this is going to change them and so we move through it more there's more of the backstory um you know you can start to see why some of the bits and bobs was excised and sort of squished together 
in the, I also, also in like the show. fact that he does bother mentioning the um, the biblical passages about giants giant beings breeding with humanity mm. um, he, he yeah they a quote from the actual script here is in all the old mythology the visitors from the sky were giants and it's that kind of stuff I I, I was a lot more grateful for it being because it didn't come across like they were just putting it in the script for random it it does make the atmosphere just feel a bit more ominous when they're mentioning it because they mention it in the right points so it doesn't feel shoehorned and again during this it's like you said uh, earlier you know it's not just going there to see if they're there um yeah well there's a diet there's a bit here where they've like why why are you coming here and Janik says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken you? Is that the question you've come like years to ask? And Holloway, yes, I remember that. Yeah, and Holloway says, it's only my first question. I have many. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's more to it. It's not, yes. just, it's not just merely coming for a trot. And, <laughs> you know, that, it's that kind of stuff that's enforced throughout. They've the, got the, more of a game plan yeah. in this one. And... You know, we get to the scenes where, like Ridgetop was saying earlier, and uh, Huda was saying earlier, where you're seeing all these planets and they're scanning them and they're trying to narrow down where they're going, and it eventually leads them to, you know, LV-426. And we get down there and they're finding clumps of uh, metals, clumps of alloys, and it eventually leads them to the pyramids, which um, was obviously a callback to um, to Alien. Uh, and they uh, unfortunately removed uh, pyramid scenes from that and they are more specifically stated to be pyramids in this yeah you can you can see where in prometheus they've left that in the dialogue where they talk about you know the pyramid and you can clearly see as the viewer the actual model of the landscape it is not a pyramid Mm. um and it's clearly a leftover from this version of the script Mm. And what I actually thought was uh, was an interesting thing here was um, when uh, in the various behind the scenes stuff for Prometheus, when um, John Space does talk a little bit about versions before Alien Engineers, they um, the pyramids were a later addition. Originally, they landed next to um, next to the the crash derelict. It, it wasn't them crashing it. Um, they showed up there beforehand, uh, which could I would like to see those, um, you know, those earlier versions and see how that changed. Because apparently, mm. at one point around the same time this was leaked, um, a copy, uh, a version of the script called um, Alien O One Genesis, I think it was, um, was apparently making the rounds, but I never, I never saw that at the time. But that would be something I'd be very interested in seeing if uh, any of you guys, anybody listening, happened to have come across that and that came out, you know, please let us know and uh, hopefully send it across to us. We'd love to see we'd love to see how different that is. So, you know, they land next to the pyramid. A lot of this plays out the same as um the same as Prometheus, where they they move with uh, they you know, they're really eager to get across there and um they get into the pyramid and you see the um the i think he describes it as quite sphinxish the face that is ultimately mm. on, on top of the mound in in prometheus because so there's a lot of similar scenes here i'm just scrolling by it or the the whole approach to the pyramid was very 
like much what we saw. They had the iris door in there, and even some of the rooms were directly referenced um, later on. I'm sure you'll get to it, but the the room they go in with the water dripping, um, Holloway eventually falls down that shaft, which I thought it was kind of strange that they focused on that in the the final version of the film, that, but nothing really came of it. I do remember in this one, it's not just um, Fifield and um, oh, I forget the guy, the the other guy. Um, it's Milburn. not just them that yeah, Milburn, and th- it's not just them that come across all the dead engineers, and it's clearly that they've all had chestburst attached in this one. I think in this one, it's most of the team all see that, don't they? Yeah, everybody yeah. comes across yeah. something. Yeah, and, they all see that whole like Holocaust thing, and it's not just the two that see it. And Milburn and Firefield show up out of nowhere in uh, in this script. Actually, they just sort of show up while they're um, scanning yeah, the planet. it's not really explained who they are or what they're doing mm. there. They're never mentioned before. They just suddenly appear, as you say, in the middle of the group inside the pyramid. I think it was actually a little bit earlier on the spaceship, but yeah, it was just out of nowhere. Um, so that sort of shows where some of the changes are starting to come across. So Lindelof was basically said, give a reason for these two guys being in the story. Well, they're merged with quite a few of the other characters, I thought, um, yeah. actually. Which is, you know, as as I said earlier, it's a very large cast and it sort of, you know, starts to get condensed down character-wise and story-wise as, as Lindelof uh, becomes involved. And there's a little snafu in the script here with um, the date. Yeah, I did notice that. They have it taking place, like, what, 30 years before Aliens? Something like that. Oh, dear. I, I think they, they, <laughs> they, they put the date of them landing as, uh, yeah, here it is, 2172. So that's 50 years after the Nostromo supposedly landed there. So, <laughs> a little mistake. <laughs> Hopefully that would have got picked up on, um, but it did get amended in in Prometheus, didn't it? it ended up being like twenty ninety something, didn't it? Uh, twenty ninety three, I think yeah. the film was. I think it was set around New Year's twenty ninety three, twenty ninety four. I know um, Chadwick was doing the little Christmas tree on there. I remember that. Was there some Christmas stuff in? Yes, this one sat on uh, the thirty first um, of December, twenty one seventy two. So fortunately, that got changed. Everybody's starting to get impressed now. They're starting to see this evidence, and Yannick's, you know, son of a bitch, they were right. And, you know, we're feeling more interest in this discovery, which is what we should have been feeling. You know, by all accounts, this is supposed to be their first encounter with extraterrestrial yeah. civilization. It felt like a, like a high school field trip in Prometheus, where they, they the went ward. between, oh, fuck off, it's not real. Oh, my God, it is real. In this one, it, you, there's much, it's it's affecting their, you know, their, their whole preconception of civilization in this one. You get that much more here. And it starts to play out. You know, same as same as Prometheus until we get inside, and instead of yeah, well, again, there's more bits and bobs that are similar here with the the um, holographic uh, recordings of you know shit getting real for the engineers, and you don't see the aliens at this point, so it's it still still has the same ambiguity that um, the recordings do have in Prometheus. Um, and I think at this point when Oh, no, it might be later on. I'll save that bit. Um, so they see the recordings in Firefield and... 
There's a decapitated a head bit. in this one too. Yeah, that's later on though. It's a bit yeah. later on. Um, and Firefield and Milburn flip out at this point before seeing any, um, you know, any decapitated uh, engineers. And you know, we have a similar line here from Firefield. Um, rather than his geologist um, spiel, you know, he says, I'm a prospect, you find a load of books, I am your man, but not this. So, you know, these guys aren't supposed to be specialists in, you know, exobiology and um, geology. They're not supposed, these particular people aren't supposed to be thrilled to fuck with what they've found. These are just prospectors. They're just roughnecks. Here. Yeah, and they shit their pants. And... I think that was again better done. Um, doesn't seem uh, out of character for these guys to bottle it and head back. Yeah, you know, the whole them getting lost things done better here because it's, it actually it, explains that yeah. they forgot on the map as opposed to just yes. getting lost because yeah, because plot exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the it's, guy it, who had the mapping devices. Yeah, it's not supposed to be the friggin' um, you know the the guy with the mapping technology is just there yeah which you know was better done so they get lost and then the rest of the crew get into the central chamber and instead of the um headroom with all the urns they find the center of the terraforming engine and there was actually quite a lot of concept art done for the various what this centre of it could have been, which is quite interesting, you know, if, yeah. if you are interested in that kind of thing, I do suggest uh, checking out the concept art gallery and uh, uh, the concept art album in our gallery, because there's lots of stuff, and it's really interesting to um, you know, visualise this kind of thing when you're reading it. Well, in this script, I, I was quite pleasantly surprised by how a lot of the just descriptions of what it was like inside this place looked like. It, it felt a lot more in keeping with the kind of technology you'd have expected to see if in Alien they had explored the the derelict into you know chambers that didn't have eggs. It felt a lot more in keeping with that style of technology definitely space goes out of his way to make it sound very giga-esque you know there's a lot yeah. of talks about biomechanical it talks about an infusion of yes. biological and and uh, tubes and um yeah there's, i love there's that, that part of this script yeah. there's certain descriptions later on like when he's talking about the um they are still suits in this you know the the elephantine um appearances is, is suits but the way that he describes them you know when we get to them we'll, we'll say and um, but it, it, they do sound far better than um, what you ultimately end up with and so you know we arrive at this this terraforming engine and you know there's there's what they've come for they've uh, well what some of them have come for they've found and you know they get to work it's not ambling around it's you know this is it you know there's a bit of you know a bit of sciencey talk about um you know it being um you know breathable air and blah 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 and they eventually reason it out later when they get back to the ship there was a lot of back and forth um which i thought was a bit of a detriment to the script a lot of back and forth between the pyramid and and the ship um which was probably never really got rid of in in Prometheus either. No, that was that was a problem with the Prometheus mm. one, yeah. And you know, so they they find this terraforming engine and they start to look around a bit more as well. And they come across um you know, they come across the suits 
which he described them as an apparatus, which I always found a little, a little bit of a weird term for them. But um, I suppose it kind of means maybe mechish suits kind of thing. Um, you know, and they start to find those, and this is where you get a real sense of um, sense of the size in this. You know, these guys are huge. They are what you would have imagined. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, and it's a common complaint with Prometheus as well, and that they're, a, they're still big, but they're short compared to what the space jockey. Yeah, as to as to what you would have imagined had that guy stood up. And you know, we get a nice little, um, nice little description of of them here, where it goes to a bit more about the um, in the whole fusion of um, mechanical and biological. You know, uh, their bulky protrusions fused with his flesh. Hard to say whether they are equipment or parts of his body. Yeah. Um, you know, an elephantine. Uh, probi- I'm not sure how to pronounce. Proboscis. That. Yeah, severed now. Once connected to a protrusion on his hip. And it's kind of little bits throughout when it refers to that kind of stuff that you know really reinforce that that aesthetic. And this is the guy that's decapitated, you know, not by a door, but by wounds you know there's other wounds on him slashes and you know it becomes apparent that they it, they were killed by aliens yeah creatures yeah. yeah. and they find at this point the you know the heaped um pile of dead engineers against the door so that's earlier on as well and you know you get your little comment there uh, with holloway reciting a passage from the bible was uh, you know there were giants in the days uh, in earth in those days and when That's the sons it. of god came unto children uh, when when the sons of god came in unto the daughters of men they bare children to them who became mighty men yeah yeah there were still some religious undertones in this version but i i felt that they were pretty different than what we saw in prometheus especially with Watts, because Shaw in the final version had like this faith crisis essentially, but she's not mentioned as being religious at all in this script. And the most religious things we see are a couple biblical quotes thrown in here and there, as opposed to this like underlying tone of her struggling with her faith, which was never a part of this script. So, you know, how did you, how did you guys feel about? that change from the head thing into being that more uh, I'd, I'd say a lot of alien engineers is more straightforward than what you ultimately get in prometheus did you did you prefer it being it made more sense <laughs> it was you know laid out kind of thing well, i it, say it, yes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'll agree with that yeah, especially on, the scene where milburn and fifefield get lost there's actually it makes sense because they have mapping devices Cut that they in. carry So at this point, everybody starts to uh, move back to the ship. You know, Alla Prometheus, get back. Um, the the whole uh, the whole dust storm or glass storm, I suppose it is, um, kicks up and gets you know spurs them on uh, back into the ship, and it plays out a lot like Prometheus did. She brings uh, they bring the head back and um, what's get swept away. Yeah. So so what's get swept away and David comes and saves her. They're back on, everybody's celebrating. I think that scene was ultimately deleted in in Prometheus, but I'm pretty sure there was a sort of celebratory scene filmed. And, uh, oh, actually, that takes place after. 
when they get back, they realise that Firefield and um, Milburn are missing. And... Yeah, they do have a, a toast scene in the deleted scenes yeah. in Prometheus that was cut oh. from the theatrical version of the film. And uh, there is a similar scene in, in this which takes place after they realise that uh, Firefields and Milburn are missing. And, you know, there's a nice little bit here. I can't remember if it was actually in that um, in that deleted scene either, but, um, you know, Holloway raises his glass. They're fucking happy. They've found evidence of an alien civilization. It doesn't matter that they're dead. Everybody's chuffed. And then Yannick says uh, to... Melbourne and Firefield, the first human beings to freak out, get lost, and sleep in their spacesuits in the ruins of an alien civilization, <laughs> which gave me a good chuckle. And you know, at this point, it's same, you know, same sort of story structure. Still, David reveals to Vickers that found the terraforming engine, and she tells him to go to Protocol Two, which is where eventually find out is pretty much just don't let Watson Holloway get back alive. Yeah, <laughs> it starts descending into James Bond. Mm, so um, and make sure we get the get the kit. And again, following the same sort of structure as Prometheus, they start to. Have they looked at the head at this? They're point? doing this now. Um, it, I re I like this part with what happens with the eye. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of it being that the engineers seeing completely different wavelengths. And that David can also see what they see. I think it's a brilliant concept, but I just sort of worry about the whole waving their hands in front of nothing thing. And, um, you know, humans can't perceive what they're doing, can't perceive the interfaces and the, the information that the engineers can. And I just worry that it might have looked a little silly, especially sort of later on with the whole God vision goggles that... Um, yeah, I thought the science behind that was perhaps a little suspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I would have loved to have seen it, though. It, it struck me as the kind of thing Ridley Scott would have been the ideal guy to like visually paint on the screen as a canvas. But the, the idea here is um, they end up, they're, they're experimenting, well, they're observing the head. It's not as silly as like reanimating it like they do in Prometheus, but... Um, it doesn't just explode for no reason either. It just, it no. just starts to break down very Yeah, I suddenly. think it's just rotting because it's been exposed or something. To, to you know, to oxygen. and Yeah. And... But it doesn't go boom, yeah. does it? Yeah. No, no, it just no. it just rots away it, and they, just, uh, they yeah. dunk it in formaldehyde to, to stop it. Yeah, that's right. Down. They put in a big old massive jar, don't mm. they? Yeah. Mm. And so it's actually saved in this one. And they kind of... What do they do? They tap into the um, the eye and get Godo vision, and you know yeah. they perceive uh, Watts as being this sort of angelic-looking. Yeah, because she's in front of the eye, and they're basically looking through mm. the optic nerve. Because mm. in this one, they're not just reanimating; they're actually trying to tap into the optic nerve. And it's it's just by co it's clear that it's by coincidence, but Watts is basically standing in front of it, and she looks like an angelic being. So there's like a, a subtext there of when they were on Earth, it's like they saw us as the perfect creations in a way visually. Hmm. And they later on at the end of it, there's this notion of taking the eyes, the irises, the cornea, what have you, and putting them into goggles that Shaw can then use uh, uh, what sorry can then use to 
that interpret all the you know all the um, stuff that the engineers can see, and I think that would have been really. I just can't visualise that as but I can't anything they could have left in that. I, I think the plot device of on the surface not quite understanding how everything worked, but once you put some kind of visor in front of your eyes, I'm sure they would have rectified that with the actual production. Um, you would have seen a lot of like hidden information which isn't there at first glance, but you have to be an engineer to know how to work the engineer's shit. Uh, that as a plot device I quite because it was one of those like archaeological hidden doorway to like plot devices. I like the concept. I just I I think the way it was dis- described as happening in the in the script with them literally just putting the dead engineer's cornea in like a pair yeah. of glasses and wearing them. I think that was a bit hokey. Yeah, I'd I agree. They, with they, that. they 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 could have they if they'd found a better way to do it. I think the concept was quite cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. And I think a lot of that happens over the course of a few intercuts here. Um, so we might be sort of skipping ahead of stuff um, or getting it muddled up at this point. But, you know, they start to um, speculate about the pyramids and stuff, and this is when they decide that, you know, they're terraforming machines. There's 24 pyramids um, that are scattered around the moon's equator, vents in the wall, atmosphere changes inside and stuff like that. And, and there's a little bit here that I actually quite liked was them saying there were so many of the pyramids because um, it's sort of harkened back to the aliens novelization because um, mm. while we only ever see one atmosphere processor in the film the novelization um, says there's quite a few dotted around the dotted around the moon that are all sort of working together in unison which it, I don't know whether it was intentional or not but I liked I liked the idea I think, I think the aliens I think the Aliens novel does actually mention that they're around the equator as well. I think. It's been a while since I've read it. It's probably the one I read the least, actually, because of the... It feels hokier, that, that, that novelization, because of the lack of swearing and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the film, they only mention that there's... Ever... there's they just mentioned there. the one. Yeah. Well, that's budgetary stuff, I guess, more than anything, but... I did like the idea that that was potentially a callback to that, you know, to the Alan Dean Foster novelization. Mm. So at this point, Fifield and Milburn make friends with a um, the Hammerhead, who at this point in the script is described as um, a centipede, that's three feet long, thick as a, a man's skull, and has a hammerhead like a shark. So you know, rather than this being some sort of black goo mu- uh, mutated. Um, little bug that they find earlier in the film it's just there as as a random creature yeah isn't it from like these laboratories in there which is is interesting because when i was reading this um it it's it struck me as very much that visual you see in um fire and stone mm, well it it says the the location's called the um the insect chamber yeah that's right there's not much in way of description of the location in the uh, you know, in, so it's in just the something direction. that's escaped. I guess. Yeah, and you know, without, I I felt like this, this built, and eventually when you get to them, the the eventual scarabs, not black goo, um, when you come into them, I thought they felt a little tacked on in terms of this script, um, because you you've got no descriptions in in you know in the direction, it's just insect chamber and yeah they. They have a sit down and they come across this stuff. 
Um, so in a way, the Black Ooze might have been Lindelof's way to make a little more sense of this. Well, from from the way it sounded, and from what you've, you'll realise with reading this, you know, we just literally got rid of everything alien and played with the original elements, yeah. which, you know, with these particular creatures and this concept of the of the scarabs, which he turned into the black goo. Yeah. You know, in, in this, you know, Milburn's not a biologist. He shouldn't know better. And he's yeah. playing with this creature. And they make a point of also referring to, the you know, the spacesuit's supposed to be bulletproof. So, you know, there's there's some degree of... <laughs> some degree of confidence in the... Yeah, um, it gives them more of a reason for thinking they're safe. It was still stupid, um, but, yeah. you know, again, these guys aren't supposed to be the brightest... Um, right. The best of it's the best. It's more excusable. Yeah, yeah. Still still daft. I probably would have excised yeah. some of these elements rather than the... Um, rather than the alien elements, but I suppose it all goes towards this grand scheme of this location being, you know, a bioweapons lab. Because yeah. as we get through the script, we'll start to see that there's more than just the alien here. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of this plays out the same. You know, the creature's got acid blood. It gets inside, um, you know, the suit and gets inside his mouth. Firefield runs away, uh, ends up knocking over some, some sort of jar that contains the uh, the scarabs. Oh, that's right, yes. It was like a, a little callback to the mummy. <laughs> but And, you know, a sort of... Again, it's not really described that well. Um, what does he say? Um, he slams into a resinous structure that topples to the floor. So, you know, that could be anything at this yeah. point. And this is when I start to feel that, you know, it's getting a little hampered with Scott coming up with things and Spates having to try and figure out how to put that into the script somehow because from you know watching the behind the scenes footage you know they don't say it as a negative thing but it sort of very much comes across that they spent nine months working on on the scripts um spates and and ridley and you know nine months doing concept art with the team they're all sort of there together at the same time ridley'd come up with something spates would write it and they'd come in the next morning and it had already been conceptualized it felt very much like <laughs> having to squish all the ideas in then yeah so you know he knocks over this stuff and he gets um firefield gets infected uh, like he does in um in, like he does in the final film but rather than being off relatively quickly, he sort of disappears for a bit. Well, he gets injected by whatever they yeah. digested, I guess. Whatever the current DNA cargo is. Yeah. I um, think I think the implication was maybe the scarabs had bitten an alien. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, I think DNA. So, yeah. Because as you know, when when he shows up again later, he's sort of described as transforming into quite an alien-like. Um, an alien-like appearance. So yeah, that would make complete sense. That would. I the aliens would have escaped, mm. and these things would have either been or tried to consume mm. one, and then uh, you've injected it into him. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, so that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point, Huda. And you know, it keeps playing out like a lot of um, a lot of Prometheus. You know, Yannick's playing with his squeeze box, and David starts to become more. Bond villain-esque here. He sneaks down into the uh, navigational computer room and locks everybody out. And this is when it starts to diverge even more and Vickers wakes up these 
mercenaries that she's got hidden away on the ship. And I think at one point wasn't Natalie Portman Surprise. supposed to play uh, the leader? Oh, I remember oh, that rumour, yes. Yeah. Which could have been interesting. And I any I don't think it ever Portman. actually mentions what sex Shepherd is meant to be. And it does say he. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, gender change isn't really a massive issue when it comes to alien stuff, is it? So. No. And so, you know, that's that's a pretty significant difference between Engineers and Prometheus. And it introduces to another three, four characters, and the the cast gets even bigger. And at this point, a lot of the background ones. Cannon fodder. Yeah. Well, I suppose they're not really back, uh, not really, um, you know, cannon fodder in the sense that they don't do anything, or you don't know much about them. You do. No, act. but it gives an excuse yeah. for um, if they need to off people, mm. they can have lots of carnage. Yeah. But it just starts to feel unnecessarily um, yeah. big at this point. Because the, the the main core of the cast, I think, is pretty well defined at this point. You know, Holloway and, and uh, Watts and David and that. So it, it does just feel a little unnecessary here. Yeah. At this point, everything's starting to go a bit tense, you know. These guys are here to get this shit for us. And uh, that's when you start to get the confrontation between um, Watts and Holloway. That's when they sort of decide to go off and do their own thing when they get a chance to get into the um, into the pyramid again. So, you know, back and forth again. We're back to the pyramid. David and the Wayland personnel are taking apart the engineering engine, which I'm sort of at this point thinking, yeah, you guys don't really know how this works. Is this? Yeah, it, kind of, yeah. it kind of describes them as just cutting it to pieces mm. with giant saws, and it's like, you're not going to cut through something important or they don't yes. really know how it works they're just hacking into it and taking it to pieces so that that was something I thought could have been worked on a little bit you know yeah. Dave, David could rather than just hacking it to pieces they could be observing it and David could be taking it apart you know a little bit at a time and trying hmm. to but I, I, I get that that's the point of what the story is driving the motivation for it just seemed a bit heavy handed at that point and this is when things start to get interesting. This is when we start to move into the alienness of it as Watts and Holloway start to explore. And at some point, they come across some more dead engineers, but these ones have obviously been chestbursted. Watts gets separated, gets scared in... Not Watts, sorry. Holloway gets separated into... Um, gets scared by some of the holographic recordings. And we get, um, we get a look at who... I always refer to them as the proto-aliens. Whether they're necessarily supposed to be proto-aliens or not, I don't, it's hard to I th- really say. I think say. they are. I think later it mentions that the aliens from the alien films are versions of these creatures they find here that have been weaponized yeah. by the engineers. Mm. So I think. And it mentions the... there are several different kinds of aliens. Yeah. Yeah. It says once you find out that this is the Juggernaut ship and this is the actual one in Alien. Um, it mentions, I think David mentions later, that there's a number of different cargo holds in the alien ship. They're like seven, aren't they? Eight. Eight. I, something Eight. like that, I think. Yeah. But they have different versions of of the, the alien organism. Yeah. Which I liked. I like that idea. It's an interesting angle, I will admit, and I do think it... that they should have explored this different variation. 
I will say that years back when um in the days of the Alien News Group and all the rest of it, I uh, got together with a group of people and we were just doing this script for just for fun about, you know, what would have happened at Hadley's Hope. Let's just write the script of that, which is now, you know, some people have done that. And one of these ideas I remember for that coming up with a football have some of the colonists may actually explore a bit of the derelict just to have a, a, a part of a, the script where they explore some of it so we get some of the alien foreshadowing and i said what if they have several different chambers and we imply like there's a symbolic engraving that looks a bit like a symbolic queen's head on one and a different engraving on another which implies there are different types of aliens and when I re well, after finding out this i thought wow synchronicity there was an idea i was involved in ages ago and now it actually like spontaneously got almost into production in actual alien films um yeah of course i'm gonna like that idea but i <laughs> I have always quite liked that idea where it implies it's not just that one type of alien, that there are different, there are opportunities in future stories to do different kinds of, you know, different looking aliens or aliens that have different breeding cycles or whatever, but there's a foundation for it if you do something like this. I thought it was, I thought it was a really interesting angle to take. And I think that it, you know, as the script gets on and you start to be introduced more towards the traditional aliens, they start to feel a little tacked on as well. And I sort of thought perhaps if the script had focused more on these prototype aliens, this other variation, it might have made it a bit stronger. But it was something I was really interested in. What about uh, you, Ridgetop, or you, Huda? Did you, did you enjoy these prototypes? Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't actually describe them too well, um, so I would have had to seen how they would have eventually looked on screen. There's a lot but, of concept art of those variations, yeah, yeah. though. So. And I, I did like the eventual Ultramorph at the end of the film. Um, they did do some concept art on the, the, the creature that bursts out of Holloway when we get to that. But I, as far as the Ultramorph, because I think there was... There were a number of different xenomorphs in the film. I think you end up with about three adult types. Yeah, mm. um, and eventually there were too many. Mm, yeah. Yes, too many. And, and that was one of the things I, I thought while reading the script is this film is is doing too many things here at one time, because you have them going around the ship like an alien trying to find the creature, and you know you have them back at the the juggernaut. Uh, with the conflict with David and all that, it, it just felt a little convoluted to me. Well, just just things happening at the same time. There were too many story elements, I felt, because the film started a lot like what we eventually saw. It started like this ancient astronaut, you know, sci-fi mystery film. But then it turned, in the second half of the film, it turned a lot more towards the feel of the original Alien. Um, so, I mean, I think it would have been great to see more alien type of creatures in a film that many were recognizing as an alien prequel, which is what I felt was lacking in Prometheus. Um, but at the same time, I think it, the script, you know, as much as I like it over some elements of Lindelof's script, it could have used a bit of streamlining. Hmm. Definitely agree there. Yeah. And it was like I was saying earlier as well, it just felt like a lot of Scott coming up with ideas and Spates fitting them in. And that, that again, that kind of stuff felt very much like those kind of moments 
I'd be like, wouldn't it be cool if we had the prototypes and then the new guys and then this happened there and then this was happening there. Yeah, it all felt very busy and very sort of shoe hindered. Uh, so it needed more focus. Yeah, basically. yeah. One of the um, the interesting bits about the creatures is there was a variant to the face hugger where the the eggs are like attached to the ceiling and the face hugger would come down slowly it was like a more a squid type face hugger that had tentacles rather than than hard fingers even though we do see the traditional face hugger later in the script too um, but this one like kind of slowly came down out of its egg on the ceiling on a on a strand kind of like those critters from half-life 2 if any of you have played that game but that's what it reminded me of well, they mm. did they described as being uh... Mo- molluscoid so you know very very octopusy you know um and there's a whole theme for these proto aliens as as this um lack of bone yeah yeah exactly yeah one one of the things that i actually did really like in this script was uh the the beluga alien that comes out of holloway the boneless sort of shape-shifting it's an alien but it's got no bones it can it can squeeze itself through impossibly small gaps like well, it's like a thing I really like that. Kind mm. of, yeah. I wasn't so keen on the the sort of tentacly chestburster, but then once it grew up, and mm. it was kind of, you know, escaping people by just squeezing through incredibly small vents because it could compact its body. I really liked that. Mm. It reminded me. Um, alien three. It reminded me of the uh, the rogue alien, not from the comic. The rogue alien from David Toy's Alien Three script, yeah. which was very similar. It could it could rearrange its its exoskeleton to squeeze through small gaps. Mm. I thought that was a really a really neat idea. I had the exact same thoughts as I was reading it as well. Yeah. What was interesting about that as well was that it was significantly different to the Alien itself, but yeah. retained a lot of the elements of it as well. Like they make a point of um, you know, that them seeing Holloway's face in the Beluga Alien. You know, it's sort yeah, of there. His, his, I, I quite like that actually because yeah. you, you you can't see it normally. Then I think one of them catches it with the beam from his torch, and as the torch illuminates the the translucent skin, you see Holloway's oh. skull underneath. I thought that would have been a really good image. Mm, they're very nice. Callback. Again, it's a callback to the yeah the original alien. Yeah. Even though it never actually, you only ever you see them still film. pictures. Yeah. yeah. It never actually shows on the footage. And I think I think that's. It, it wouldn't have been intrusive either. I think that was a quite no. nice. Uh, yeah, the, the way that it was just glimpsed briefly in the torchlight rather than just being obviously there. Yeah. That's what I really liked about it. Same. And like Ridgetop was saying, you know, when we first introduced to them, it's um, it's in these um, sort of honeycomb type cells. I think that's about where we are now, actually, when after. I think we... it, it, it's happening, but we don't yeah. find out about it until quite a bit mm. later. He gets uh, what's not what's Holloway when he's separated gets infected in that chamber. Um, after his after he's fallen down, so he's disappeared. Nobody knows what's happened to him. Um, Yannick and the the Magellan crews come to try and find um, Fifield and Milburn, and the uh, the Whaling guys are pissing around with the engine. And again, it's it's very busy at this point. You know, we've got three we've got three separate um, plot points going off here. They needed more connectivity. And again, we're back and forth. Again, we're back to the, we're heading back to the ship with the bodies. And um, there's a nice, nice little moment where David sort of offers to help Watts find Holloway before they piss off back to the ship. And there are 
you know, he is starting to go Bond villain-esque here, but he does have quite a few, you know, interesting moments uh, with him and with him and Watts, you know, and he's, you know, he's providing a bit of ex exposition, but it's interesting stuff about what's happening, and we eventually find, uh, we eventually find Holloway, and back and forth again, back to the ship, and it plays out, um, you know, broad strokes again, the structure's there, same sort of story beats as, as in the finished film, and to get back and Watson uh, Holloway get it on and we get to this infamous well it was infamous at the time of development the uh, sex burst scene oh, after after Holloway sort of describes what he's, he's seen the the aura to sort of you know setting up those later later bits towards the end of the uh, the end of the script and even here after you know we don't well the audience knows it kind of a little bit from the the hints that are dropped um, but Holloway's been uh, facehugged at this point. You know, he, he feels shit. He's come back. He's, you know, I think I think it's quite obvious that yeah. it's building up to that, to and, the audience. Mm, definitely. But even at this point, you know, he's he is how he should have been. He's very enthusiastic. He can't remember much about what he's seen, but he knows he's seen some awesome stuff. And he's. But he mentions that. that he he finds the um the the planetarium. Yeah. Yeah, that the, David the finds in Prometheus. He mentions that he's seen that, mm. uh, and he he works out that this place isn't the engineer homeworld. This is just an outpost. They might still be alive out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, this whole interest, this whole scientific angle, the you know the curiosity, it, it's still being pushed. He's not he's not dived into his drink and he's not being depressed unnecessarily. And this is more of the stuff that I really think. Alien engineers did well, and it's still pushing through here. It's kind of a polar opposite to the actual film because he's more enthusiastic here at the mm. point where he's going, as as opposed to as you say, he's not quite got suicidal, but he's now, oh, what's the point of life in Prometheus? Mm. So it's it's interesting to see that dichotomy. Yeah, definitely. And then we get to the sex, um, and rather Yay. than. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than infecting um, Watts, uh, I keep I keep wanting to say Shaw. Sure. Um, rather than infecting Shaw with a baby face, or I have to say baby face, or baby face, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know he he bursts in the middle of um, you know the act, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the proto chest burster. I'm not like you know like uh, like Huda. I wasn't too sure of this this visuals of um, a squiddy tentacly um, chest burster, but you start to see. I was. Of, I like that piece of concept art with all the little tentacles popping yeah, out. It yeah, it came across very much as I say, very thing like. Mm. And I think if they'd have done like the thing, it would have been quite horrific. Mm. The tentacles aren't too scary nowadays. So that's. The, they no, figured that out with the a, it's it's very it's a very you'd have had a lot of this viscous kind of writhing stuff and it would have been very you wouldn't have if they'd have put that kind of like blurring motion there it you, the audience would have been prepared for a chest burster uh, this would have been a, you know, a visual statement that this is some different shit and so you have that right from the beginning i think that would have worked quite well well, to be fair, the descriptions of it do make it fit in very well with the aesthetics of this prototype version of the alien. I think it would fit in quite well. Mm. Um, 
again if it was done right yeah well, as with everything mm. really and so you know things are moving on the Watts has just completely lost it as you'd expect you know I'd be quite friggin traumatised yeah. yeah and we start to see some of this a gelatinous body that um, you know who the fuck mentioned earlier as it escapes into the ship and that's when we start of get towards this whole alien kind of feel aboard the Magellan things things really accelerate now in the script mm-hmm. I mean like we're, we're two thirds of the way through it there's still a lot that has to happen in this last act yeah uh, it really sort of picks up now and sometimes that's that's nice sometimes it's a detriment um which we'll you know we'll we'll keep getting onto as we move through because you know it is really starting to speed up, uh, but it still takes it slow at sometimes as well. It, it's, the pace starts to sort of um, unravel um, at yeah. this last uh, last act in the script, and Watts becomes very motivated to find out what the hell happened. Um, so you know she doesn't break down. You know she's still seen all this, but she has this desire to understand what's happened to um, to Holloway, which feels a lot like how she was at the end of Prometheus, and I'm not sure how I feel about this at this point. Obviously, she needs to drive. they need to drive the uh, the plot forward, but I don't know if I could really buy into this whole, you know, my love has just exploded in front of me. I think I'm I'm going to go and find out what happened. What did it, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how I felt about this yeah. point. What are you What are you guys feeling? She did have much more of a breakdown in in the final version of the film where she was you could tell she was totally like devastated by what had happened as opposed to in this script it seemed like she was I mean she was shocked but she was more just confused and she wanted to figure it out so this is when they start to explore the ship and try and find out where the alien's gone and you know at, at this point we're now sort of halfway in alien um, the original it starts to feel like halfway through Alien when uh, they're hunting for the chestburster but you still have this other stuff going on where um, Watts heads off into the pyramid you know a lot of it has the potential to be quite visually interesting but it, it now sort of slows down again in terms of on the ship while they're searching for it and there aren't are... there some interspersed little cameos where you see Fifield kind of like in the fetus position of mewling in pain or something and then it yeah. cuts back to other things yeah, it, sure. I think you see him at one point and then he shows up again at the end yeah the, mm. the Fifield thing wasn't handled very well in this he mm. kind of vanishes for a long long time and mm. then he just he shows up again very briefly at the end to just off a couple of people and then get killed immediately he was like, he, I could see what they were trying to do with him but I don't think it was developed very well yeah. It, again, it feels busy at this point, like Tack yeah. Tom. I also thought it was strange that he had such a uh, drastic mutation uh, from getting bitten by the scarab when we saw in the beginning of the movie, the Aboriginal woman, it was evident that the scarab just caused very subtle evolution yeah. as opposed to like quick mutation. But, but wasn't it that she just got bit by one where he's, he, he got like overwhelmed with a swarm of them? Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's like Huda said earlier as well, it could could have been the alien sort of DNA being injected into him. So yeah, um, you know, she's exploring and they're looking for the uh, alien on the ship. And this is where she starts to find a lot of the bits and, you know, a lot of the locations. She comes across this, um, they call it the Xenomorph Incubator, which is the chamber where Holloway gets infected. 
and you know you have all these rather than the um, eggs you have a honeycombed cells which is where the uh, proto face huggers um, come from and then she starts to follow sort of like holographic recordings of Holloway and his map which she uh, took from his space yeah, she, she, yeah she finds his helmet and that's got his uh, recording of what happened you know, she's she's found out what's happened to Holloway now, and we start to move in towards the um, what we eventually find out is the derelict. But as with Prometheus, it's called the Juggernaut. And the what would eventually end up being the one location in Prometheus, you know, the the Ori, the pilot chamber, the hibernation chamber. It's actually three separate rooms in. Um, in the in this script and I do I did kind of like it being condensed and I can kind of see why they did it in terms of you know budgetary and time reasons as well so I had no sort of problem with yeah with that condensement in um, in Prometheus but as she's sort of exploring she comes across the David in the Ori and you get a bit of monologue in here you know, he says, I call this ship the Juggernaut, Chariot of the Gods. And a little bit of spiel about, um, I think it was Vishnu later on. Yes, um, I like which, that. Which, you know, more of the religious uh, undertones here. But he, he does he does a fair bit of monologuing at this point. Well, it's not religious. It's more going into, like, myth mythology. Yeah, yes, yeah, mythology, yeah. Yeah, mythology, yeah. Poor choice of words on my part and you, you know you get a bit of uh, you get a bit of exposition here stuff that might have already been said by Holloway earlier so you know there is a, a tiny little bit of repetition but you're starting to get an idea that David's very much in tune with this um, with this ship and he's got his own agenda going off here yeah um, because there's there's a little bit of attempting to bring some conflict between David and Vickers it's kind of it feels a little bit out of nowhere at this point and it sort of ultimately goes nowhere at the end of it <laughs> and you know it has the potential to be quite boring at this point but I actually found a lot of what um, a lot of the stuff that he was putting across to be quite interesting because there's a fair bit of, of world building in what he's revealing you know he's explaining what this phase protocol 2 thing is you know a little bit more Bond villain monologuing and then we get to what could I think potentially be an amazing scene or a cheesy as hell scene and <laughs> David drags Watts into the egg chamber and we get you know that's where we learn a little bit more about um, the ship being a, you know a bomber as, as Ridley Scott used to like to call it he called it a battle wagon in those old interviews uh... yeah and you know is is explaining that the ship was coming to earth to kill everybody which you don't learn again you don't learn why the change of heart in this yeah it doesn't explain it in this one either which i have he does it he does at least throw in that bible quote uh, and the lord said i will destroy man whom i have created like, yeah. he did at least try to explain yeah. that there had been a change of heart even if it didn't say why mm. uh, but again i assume that this was stuff that they knew they wanted to explore um in a in in the sequel, sequel yeah because by all accounts while this was being done it was I think there's even one report I was reading some of the old news articles there's one report that says that a, a sequel script was completed I don't know I don't know the truth of that I've never seen them really speak of it again um, was it by um, Spates by Spates yeah 
Okay. Or at least a story. They had a story. I can't fully remember. It might remember. have been a treatment or mm. something in reality. Yeah. But, yeah. but by all accounts, they knew sort of where they wanted to go after this. Yeah. So, you know, they, I can forgive them for those kind of... Um, those kind of moments because this the engineer script feels a lot less like a ton of setup than Prometheus did Prometheus very much yeah. felt like part one setup kind of thing yeah and so we get to the introduction of the traditional alien at this point and David coaxed out a face hugger um, and in fact sure with it and I think this scene had the potential to be really sort of creepy really terrifying or just just look awful it, it could have gone either way really easily i think yeah i think this was the the scene where in like reviews it had been referred to as really got the um you know freudian sexual stuff because it's obviously you know he's not programmed to have desire through sex but he's holding her in place He's coaxing out a face hugger and it's, you know, slowly going up. And it's like the face hugger is being used as a much more deliberate analogy for rape in this particular scene as it's written than possibly any other time. Um, so I, I think this would have been, it might even have been this scene that Ridley Scott and that were referring to, to in those early interviews. And they said, there, yeah, we're going to have a scene here which was more disturbing than what happened to Lambert because this kind of thing kind of meets that criteria um, whereas in Prometheus there isn't really anything that comes close to Lambert's unsettling ambiguity mm. um, but this yeah I felt I, I'm pretty sure if it had been filmed it would have been handled very creepily very Freudian in nature and of course as the scene plays out it's not like she gets rescued at the last moment it does its job it, she gets face hugged mm. you you have this moment where you know the the other guy however temporarily however briefly he's won this is it she's you to all intents and purposes from the audience's point of view you think oh shit she's dead what what's going to happen about you uh, who did you do how did you feel about the the tortury scene i I don't have a problem with the scene, but I I don't like how overtly evil David is in this script. Yeah, I'd agree with I, that. Yeah, and I thought what, uh, one of the things that was improved most from this script to the film they eventually made was how David came across. I thought Fassbender was by far and away the best thing in Prometheus. Definitely. Uh, I loved how his character was like, you could never quite tell if he was you know doing it on purpose or whether he was just being curious. And, you know, because he was an android, he had no concern for the consequences. Like, there's that wonderful moment where they're all suiting up to go and meet the last engineer. And um, and David makes that crack about uh, Shaw getting something off her chest. And he sort of pauses and looks at us and goes, sorry, poor choice of words. And you can't yeah. work out if he's being yeah, sincere. You. Yeah, you can't work out if he's being sincere or whether he's, you know, having, having a dig there at what's happened to her. Whereas mm. in this script, he was just... It was never really explained why he's so willfully helping the engineers destroy mankind. The theme that sort of played on quite well in Prometheus is this notion of his disappointment in having already met his makers. And I think, yeah. I think that sort of starts to originate around here. Um, I think it's far better done in, in Prometheus, like you say. And, you know, as, as this progresses, when he finally 
does start to meet the engineer, we get this little bit of dialogue about him having to learn to think in trinary. Um, yes. Which, you know, it's sort of like a tiny little, maybe that's why he's turned so badly. It's very hand-wavy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not particularly it, solid it's or conclusive. Plotted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at least the... I think that's that was the idea of why he's gone so batshit crazy. Yeah, well, he 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 had because there's this subplot about they are asking because we may use what's it William property if you tell him to deactivate or stop it, yeah. he'll do it. Oh yes, he will. And then he, he points out that all this time you've been sleeping, I because I was studying all this stuff, I had to learn to, as you say, speak, um, learn to think and try and hardest thing I'd ever done. And he said that that liberated him from his programming. Now, me as someone who's actually studied AI, I would call bullshit on that. <laughs> but from from a point of view of you know. It's a sci-fi film. I could have gone, yeah, okay, it's happening because it's a sci-fi film. But yeah. um, in terms of someone who understand that, they think no. Yeah. At least it, wouldn't, it, tries it certainly to wouldn't address have caused, it. Yeah, it, it certainly it, wouldn't have caused him to become evil. No. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. It doesn't. It would have explain... liberated him from his directives, but it wouldn't have made him go. <laughs> yeah, man, man must die. It yeah. wasn't explained why. He, he was so desperate to wipe us out. Yeah, I think it was it was interesting how there was definitely a more sinister take on David's character in this one. Um, it kind of reminded me of the scene in Alien where you know Ash is forcing the magazine down Ripley's throat. It was kind of yeah. similar in that sense. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I do like how how David was in the final version. I thought Fassbender did a great job. But I mean, I like you were saying. I imagine Fassbender myself even with this version that he could have done that. And and they kind of moved him infecting a character just to, to Holloway. It was much more subtle, but it, it was kind of the same thing. So I, I would kind of argue that he still had a, a dark side to his character. It was just a bit more blunt in this version. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so in between all this, it's been intercutting back with, with the Magellan, the very alien-esque hunting down of, of the beluga aliens as it's I don't think it's necessarily called that in the script but I know they they referred to it as such and there's some interesting moments in that where there's one like they find one of the characters pulled through a um, vent which is how oh yeah how they that, intended to find Lambert isn't it yeah that, that might actually be my favorite moment of this script I think that's just such a wonderfully twisted horrific death sequence where you have this guy reaches into a pipe because he sees something in there and then too late he realizes what it probably is he tries to pull his arm back it grabs him and it just very slowly pulls his body into this pipe that's far too small for him i thought that was such a horrendous idea for a scene mm. like i really really liked that it was i'm not normally someone who, who sort of you know loves the the really over the top gore but i just thought there was just something so so visceral about that mm. i thought it was a brilliant scene and that that would have worked without gore anyway you know just, just yeah. the yeah, image would, of this broken been, body yeah it well especially been... with sounds of bones breaking because you don't actually yeah. have to see anything and yeah I, I do agree with you there that was i think that was a brilliant aspect of um of this bit of the script and we start to see more of of this proto proto-alien adult when it starts attacking the crew and you know we're seeing more of this gelatinous state of it at this point it's actually described as being quite like um what the deacon would end up being you know this dolphin like head and the and the, the jaw yeah and i don't know it still doesn't die here either does it no and the 
you know, the prototype alien it pretty much fucks a lot of stuff up. It kills a lot of people at this point. And there's some nice visuals of it being in um, in the engineering deck. So you can imagine a lot of like the Nostromo um, at this point. You know, this grungy sort of location. I like as well the scene where uh, they're in there. It's flooded with condensation, and the creature just kind of just it's, it's, it's a gelatinous blob. It just kind of just disappears into the water and then comes up yeah. somewhere else and attacks them. I thought that could have been a good scene. Mm. Okay. It, it all depends on how they'd have pulled off the whole um, flexibility, I suppose, of, of the alien design. It could have been very squid-like in that respect, mm. it sounds like. Yeah. And at this point, this is when everybody sort of starts to lose the nerve and they want to take off and, you know, vent the ship to space, that kind of thing. You know, people are dead and it turns out David's locked them out from the computer and Shaw makes her way back. She's realised that she's been... Um, infected with a face hugger. It's not necessarily the same one that that got Holloway, but she kn- she knows. She knows. Puts two and two together. Yeah. And again, some more back and forth as she heads back to the ship with people still working away on that terraforming engine. Poor Chase and Revel, uh, just dismantling stuff. I think we go straight into the chestburster stuff, into the med pod. Yeah. Now, wasn't this the scene where Spate said he it, wrote it and this got him the job? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh. And. I'm I'm fond of it in Prometheus, I must be honest. I did really enjoy the MedPod stuff in Prometheus, but the ideas in this I would have been more interested in seeing because it's, as it's written, it's very much sort of like the MedPod starts to open her up and the alien comes out at this point yeah. and she's not necessarily been nommed away from the inside. It's like the alien's coming out of the incisions the machine itself is making. Right. And this whole sequence, I think, has potential to had potential to be really cool because the the chestbursters you know it's expelled from the med pod and she's sort of healed back up it's it's healing all the various injuries that has happened in in it emerging and her being healed and she's watching she's drifting in and out of consciousness and watching the chestburster uh, grow up and molt and what have you and i think that had the potential to be a really cool looking scene you know But this is another one of the things where I think it starts to get too busy because almost immediately after she's dealt with it, after she's healed and the aliens, as we know, it's killed somebody, she pretty much kills it straight away as soon as she gets out. And there's that awful piece of dialogue. No, I brought it in, hefts her gun, I took it out. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) It felt felt very much like, well, what's, what's the point? That alien just was there for... 30 seconds kind of thing Um, as much as I would have loved that scene and I do love what it eventually became it just felt unnecessary felt like it needed trimming but yeah I do think that could have been really awesome the visuals of seeing it knitting her back together the the description of how it actually repairs the damage in this is is infinitely better than what we get in the film where it basically just sprays some lotion on her and staples her shut there's (laughs) It, it, it doesn't even try to say that there's like some future medicine going on there that's that's making it okay. No. It literally just sews her up again. Whereas in this, so the machine cool. actually goes into her body mm. and and it gets yeah. in, in there and it fixes all the. Sorry. Well, it makes a point in at least in the script of talking about all the trauma that she's received at the hands of I say at the hands of at the sneaky body of um, the chestburster. Yeah. 
you know, collapse left lung, punctured right ventricle, perforated stomach, ruptured spleen, gross muscular trauma. And then you see the machine actually getting in there and doing something about mm. it as well, which I liked. Uh, me too, because I thought that would have been quite powerfully, um, you know, a very powerful visually. Uh, I'm mm. kind of squeamish with the, the gore and everything, but just knowing that that was there on the list and just seeing it disappearing in a body, I think would have been quite a, um, you know, playing on the mind kind of moment there as to what's happening inside it. Yeah, or show it in x-ray or something, yeah. so you don't yeah. literally have to have It's not gratuitous, yeah. Yeah. Like an Alien 3. Well, a bit of Alien 3. Yeah, you know, you know the yeah, I know. Like blue X-ray. I know what you mean. It would have been a nice little callback. Yeah, uh, I still turn away from the autopsy scene in that. It is pretty grim, yeah. Okay, so all that's happened. She's killed the alien. There's some awful dialogue. Everybody's dead pretty much at this point. Because a lot of stuff happens while she's in, um, while she's being repaired. Yeah, the beluga's oh. been off in the crew while she's been yeah. out. Yeah, and um, again, we go back to the pyramid. Like I said, there's a lot of back and forth. <laughs> um, yeah, the idea is that they go and turn David off and get his head and use it to reactivate the ship's um, navigational computer so they, they can take off and get out of there. Because even Vickers has had enough by this point. <laughs> yeah, I thought even, even in the final version of the film, uh, there was a bit too much back and forth between the pyramid and the ship. But in the script, it was just like r ridiculous. Mm. It was like six or seven times where it was just back and forth, back and forth. Mm. Definitely. That, that was an annoying aspect of this. So, you know, they all get armed up and they head back over there and we have this... Well, it's not even really the last conflict, is it? Um, Hello, uh, uh, Watts has got this, um, the engineer goggles and the glass one of the other characters has been building for her in the meantime. And Vickers comes with because she's the owner and she needs to turn David off. I, this... I, don't, think, I don't think they know yet that he won't, he won't respond listen. to her no. orders. I think that she's going to say switch off and that's the idea behind it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Vickers was very much sort of... It feels like she's been in the background doing nothing for most of this, um, other than giving, you know, giving the orders. She's very much been cowardice on on the ship, and I think that continues for the remainder of her life. I do prefer how she seemed a lot stronger in Prometheus. So I think Charlie's Theron really sort of gave her this gravity, even more if she, determined. Mm, even if she necessarily didn't seem to do as much in Prometheus as well but she still had this air of authority about her she didn't yeah I mean she gets a little bit of a whiny bitch in um, in Engineers doesn't she at some point because she's pissed off that she's been dragged away from Earth and she was pretty much next in line to inherit the company when uh, Mr. Whalen kicked it and she's very bitter about it and very resentful of being there which I found a little little annoying I mean understandable but annoying in how it was written I did I do think I preferred Charlize as uh, Vickers at least the broad strokes of it and so they go back to the pyramid where um, things get busy again they find that David's infe been infecting more people with aliens yeah the the few that had remained in in the pyramid disable, uh, disabling dismantling the um, terraforming engine had also been infected and you get slightly different aliens here in that these are supposed to be somewhat more adolescent it describes it as so i feel like there would have been a lot of suit building for um <laughs> for this incarnation of the film yeah i know some are described as more exoskeletal and blah 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 but i think the intention is very much that it is the aliens that we know they just you know teenage yeah. yeah but 
as with Shaw's baby, they show up and they're just off straight away. We meet two of them. One of them drops down on somebody and gets nailed, and they move the group move on again into the um, into the juggernaut where they come across David, and they find out all his evil plans. And at this point is when he starts commenting about him having learnt to think in trinary, and he won't listen to Vickers now, and he's determined to um, wake up the one remaining engineer that they find it, it plays out a lot like it does in the final film you know the engineer's pissed off it um rips yeah off but it. it's it's explained why exactly a huge plot hole which you just when you read this you think why did Lindelof change that because mm. it explained it it makes complete sense in that it ends how you think it would be in a prequel to alien this guy is a chestburster in him. This last engineer is infected, and he, he's pretty pissed off um, when he's woken up to find that it hasn't been taken out of him or anything, and he's he's gonna die. It, it basically it sees that the, it has an argument with David, and the others see them having this son to and fro, and it's explained that it basically sees David as his murderer. Although David had on his basically good intentions of honestly wanting to wake him up but it perceives david as his murderer mm. so people who've listened in the app they're going oh shit is that why it happened because <laughs> you've had all these different fan theories and yet in the, the original script as written it it totally explained that and not only totally explains that but it's an actual nice little plot pivot mm, exactly again it goes back to what we've been saying all along this script is is laid out better motivations are explained clearly yes. concisely and it makes sense you know we get to see a lot of at this point we've got to see a lot of the biomechanical aspects of the ship you know there's random sort of areas opening up and they they call him the sleeper not the last engineer um the sleeper getting into his his suits and you sort of see it merging together with his body yeah, aren't there like the you see little alcoves that are designed for space jockers and they're like described as Iron Maidens and things like that? Uh, where is it? Okay. Uh, I, th I think the idea is they, they step in, step yeah, into the like alcove huge, and the suit yeah. just closes around them. Mm. Yeah. And then they step back out and they're wearing the suit. Mm. And some are designed to be satin, some are designed to be stood up. It's really kind of thing where if Giga was allowed to have designed this, he'd have had a field day. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it all goes to shit, everybody's shooting, people are dying, and... We Firefield crops up again. Yeah, we're cut away to five. Well, not... We're cut away to the what second alien. Firefield? The second alien first. Because there's still yeah. one unaccounted teenage alien knocking around. And as soon as he shows up, Firefield, uh, mutated Firefield shows up and kills it. Yeah, which I thought was a bit anti-climactic. Mm. All three of the traditional aliens... Are taken out within, you know, barely minutes of their appearance, and while it's the idea of having these prototypes and, you know, aliens as we know them together in the same movie, it feels very pointless having the traditional ones in there because they do literally nothing, um, <laughs> and they just got rid of like that. So again, it goes in, goes again towards this whole. It starts to get very busy and too busy and it did you know it did really need a lot of tidying up um uh, but yeah so you know firefield makes an appearance and we move back to the whole debacle with the um the engineer 
everybody's running for it now they run into Firefield who's very much described as you know this mutated creature half human half alien kind of thing and he shows up he near enough kills um, kills one of the soldiers the soldier kills him while he's on top of Vickers and Vickers is killed by the acid blood goes out little like a little bitch um, pretty much begging him not to um, not to kill her which is annoying like I said I really preferred how uh, Charlie's Theron um, you know performed her and the engineer um, decides he's gonna finish the mission and you know kill all humans at this point David sort of realizes that he's been a dick and <laughs> Perfect ending. well yeah I'm not I'm not wrong you know he, he frees the Magellan and he realizes that you know even the engineers are very much flawed and so um, Watts loses David's head during the escape. He ends up being left in the room with the space jockey, the the pilot's room. Remember that they're separate rooms at this point. And she loses him. And the engineer kills more people. And she heads back out. Now, what I liked here was that there was a bit where um, the engineer shows up with these weapons. That, um, it's described kind of weird in the script, but the, the essential point is that it shoots distortions in the fabric of reality. Oh yes, I remember. I really like the descriptive, the the way the script described the actual effect they had because it really wasn't like, you know, it wasn't projectiles, it wasn't mm. energy. It was like actually warping the fabric of reality, kind of. It was really interesting, mm. and that again has the potential to be really friggin' awesome. Or dodgy it, it as fuck. Felt, when I was reading it, it felt like an alien weapon, yes. an extra yes. something with an alien mind would devise. Because you see it, you see it's got destructive effect. You know it's a weapon, but it's you know you can't comprehend it as a, a human viewer what it's doing, how it's doing. It's just it happens. It's mm. really inventive. Exactly. What about you guys? Did was that too hokey, or was that? No, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it would depend on how it was put across, but I like the idea that it was... I mean, he, he it specifically says that it's it's not a solid projectile, it's not directed yeah. energy, it's it's something else. Mm. Yeah, I think it would have made for something unique and interesting on screen for a sci-fi film, for sure. Contrast that to Fire and Stone, and you see the engineer having this rifle, and it acts a lot more like a traditional sci-fi weapon, whereas this was clearly felt when I was reading it like something radically advanced, like something that's gone beyond weapon, energy weapons. Mm. Felt very alien. Yeah. Okay, so you know, the the sleeper, as he's called, the last engineer, starts to power up the ship and um, Watts makes her last trek back to the Magellan. This is when the um, the proto-alien makes its last appearance and attacks Yannick, who's pretty much the only guy left on the ship, and pretty much mangles one of his arms. And Shaw shows up and just rinses it, and that's that. Watts. It was, sorry. Um, <laughs> rin <laughs> rinses it down, and that's that. But prior to that, there was a nice little moment where Yannick had uh, put a couple of rounds into it with his pistol, and it instantly heals over the wounds, which I thought was... Uh, 
which was nice. And again, it starts to play out like the end of Prometheus. Watts convinces um, Yannick to ram it, but at this point they don't abandon ship because Yannick's arms mangled. She sits down and she pilots for him. During this time, the engineer gives birth, which causes the juggernaut, the derelict, to sort of falter in its flight plan allowing the Magellan time to uh, catch up with it and ram it. And of course, when the engineer gives birth, it's an, an, a different, another different type of alien, this one referred to as the Ultramore, which, um, as it sounds, is, you know, it's an ultra-alien, I suppose. It's supposed to be some big, badass alien, and the moment it erupts, it's already um, mahoosive. And in this one... The Magellan wasn't completely destroyed on impact, was it? I think it just rammed it and then it crashed. Like yeah, it didn't, yeah. it didn't get blown to smithereens well, like it, it did it, in the. It says it breaks apart, but then earlier in the script they mentioned that the ship's modular. modular. So yeah. in my mind, it was just all the modules were kind of breaking apart, mm. and you know they would maybe still be intact, yeah. or at least some of them would be, but you know the ship itself disintegrated. Mm. And we do get a notion of that, so. You know, in Prometheus, they purposefully eject Vickers pod. But in this script, one of the few pods they find left is Vickers suite, which used to be a cargo bay. They mention, they make a point to mention in it early on in the script that it used to be a specific cargo bay. You know, yeah. while while the Magellan's lost its power and it's breaking apart, Yannick's killed by glass from the um, from the ramming attack, and Watts bugs out in an escape pod. And holy shit, the script. The script makes a point of Watts running away from the... Um... <laughs> running to the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I guess Lindelof felt that could be fixed. Well, <laughs> you know, why, why run to the side when you can just run with the, uh, with the roll? With the shadow. <sighs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell. So, you know, there are some points that Lindelof did really well and some points that he just fucked up for no reason. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Uh, but I did, I did like that um, it actually makes a point of that as well. It's, it's almost as if, um, you know, Spates knew what was going to happen. It went forward in time. Yeah. It's like, I know everybody will get a kick out of this. She turns aside, trying to get out of its course. Oh. Um, Beautiful. That's like a fuck you in reverse. That's <laughs> oh, brilliant. And so after the juggernaut crashes, rather than a very pissed off uh, Ian White in a uh, engineer suit, you get the Ultramorph Who would coming have been out. Ian White in an alien Ultramorph costume. I don't think even he'd have been big enough for what they wanted for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. We end up with this final battle on the surface of LV-426 with all the raining debris, all the debris that's already down, and this Ultramorph is trying to hunt down Watts as she's trying to hide, basically. Her oxygen's running out. She's got 15 minutes left, and she's scared shitless. And again, this alien, its design is supposed to be more of a traditional fashion. We've seen the concept art. It just... It looks like a mahoosive alien, basically. And Watts ends up killing it with a buzzsaw. Granted, it's supposed to be a hull saw, you know, strength of diamonds and what have you. But I wasn't massively keen on that. It, they don't seem to treat the traditional aliens with a great deal of respect. They don't give them too much resiliency. I um, forget, does it have acid blood? It or does, does it? it does, because she ends up having yeah. to take her helmet off and leg it to... Um, 
yeah. vicar's area. I mean, there is a little bit here that I liked, which was the alien, um, it impales her leg with its tail, and she sort of has to struggle against it to get to the buzzsaw, but... It's just this notion of an alien's head being cut off with with a saw that just was like, eh. Yeah. Well, they they when it comes out, they make a big deal about how just utterly terrifying this thing is, but then it just kind of chases her around for a bit, fails to catch <laughs> her, and then she just twats it on the head with a big axe, basically, <laughs> and just kill, like for for the build up, it, it's there's no payoff. Mm. Yeah, it just doesn't end up being that much of a threat. Yeah, it's kind of a dilemma between alien and aliens. Whereas alien, the creature seems completely unstoppable, and aliens, you see it get run over by a vehicle. So, I don't know if he was trying to to go for more something that would fit with the entire franchise, but I don't know. It sounds to me like it's um, inspired by one of the early Joss Whedon Alien Resurrection things, where they're they're fighting the newborn with a kind of like a combine oh, yeah, harvester yeah. thing. But it didn't work for me. I must be honest. That last, I love the idea of this conflict between the space jockey alien, and it just it it's not so smart it's I know it feels like a primitive sort of combat a primitive way of dealing with it it doesn't it wouldn't have satisfied me the idea of going hand to hand with an alien just doesn't really you know there's no way you're going to win that fight you know after Watts has um, cut the head off we move to the end and it's a couple of pages that I actually quite like because it's a bit of slows down and she's sort of just trying to make sure she's alive she heads to Vicar's module and you have a little bit of back and forth between her and David uh, very much in the vein of, of how Prometheus ends but it's less you know, Pr- Prometheus ends with what's giving in and get going to get him what's, now you've got me doing it that way round um, Prometheus ends with Shaw going to get David and they fly off in the ship uh, Engineers not so much she leaves him on the thing where he is he's asking her to come and repair him and there's like a nice little moment there where they're also playing they're playing chess across across the comms and he's, no, I, think some, I think some time has passed yeah some time some time's obviously passed at this point um, but they, they, they are playing you know they are playing chess and she's like have, he's like have you decided there's a moment where she's like I'm going to hold out a ship will come and he says yeah, I'm certain but who's going to send it men or engineers and mm. she she goes silently and stares at the chessboard and David's last piece of dialogue comes out and says Dr. Watts it's your move and you know I could just hear Fazbender saying that in his really yeah. sort of creepy ambiguous way and I was like I like that it's, it sounds a lot like the ending of the thing yes yes I suppose yeah, who's going to get them first mm. You know, it ends with way. this, yeah, and and it ends with this random thing of all the pyramids sort of beaming out this signal into space. Um, oh, yes. I suppose as as a beacon to the engineers. The Thundercats. Yeah. <laughs> and so it still set it up for a sequel. Yeah, this yeah. There's yeah. Like like I said, um, the earlier reports were always sort of around a couple of films. And they always talked about them having them planned out. Obviously, that all went to pot when Lindelof got involved, and it, it changed significantly. And I do want to point out that I have no fucking clue where I got this idea of time travel crap from. Because <laughs> if you if you've been listening, you'll have heard I've mentioned it before that I had this whole notion from one of the other scripts that it involved time travel somehow. 
and I could have sworn I got it from the end of this script, and it's not in here at all I whatsoever. I think it was in one of the fake scripts, <laughs> but I could be wrong. So that, that's a thought I had earlier, because I did try and have a quick flick there over that Alien Harvest them, one. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to apologise for talking completely out my arse in regards to that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that's, that's Alien Engineers. You know, before we sort of disappear, I thought, you know, we'd have a nice sort of broad strokes opinion of how everybody thought it compared um, to Prometheus. Could it, was it, would it have been a better film? You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, Huda, if you want to start us off. I prefer it. I think it, it needed tidying up, um, especially towards the end. I think that the first half of it is pretty solid and certainly an improvement on what they eventually made. But then towards the end, as we've said, it just gets too busy. The aliens just show up and then are immediately killed before they even do anything. And there's just too much going on. It, it really needed sharpening up. But on the whole, I think it's a much better screenplay than what they eventually use for the film. Okay. Has Um Yeah, as just said, it, it, it definitely needed a polish, but I don't think it needed a complete, almost complete rearranging, which is what I think Lindelof did in several very key parts i i do think if it had been polished with as you say like some of the alien deaths and all the rest of it um i definitely think it had a much better motivation for many of the characters they seemed more rounded out um i especially appreciated not just the fact that we actually got a bit a, a, a fucking believable explanation for what happened at the end but i i much preferred at the start it's not just some random cave paintings you have a proper plausible basis for why this expedition was launched i like the fact that it's not just about oh were we visited but why did they stop visiting us and i like the fact that in this person they did put so they mixed more actual real mythology into it they interwove it tastefully um of the two yes i definitely prefer this one but um as has been said it, it did need some polish just i would have preferred not a complete rearrangement as we ultimately had okay reached up um, having read it again kind of recently, I think that both scripts have their issues. I think, you know, if this had become the film, I probably still would have been somewhat disappointed, uh, albeit less so, yeah. than um, than I was with the ultimate one. As as an Alien prequel, as, as what I was hoping for in an Alien prequel, I think the original screenplay got a bit more creative in terms with the different creatures, but at the same time... I would kind of worry that it would compromise the, the whole awe of the, the original classic alien if you're going to just say, like, oh, that was one of many different compartments with all these different creatures. Um, it's like, I don't know if I want to explore all those different creatures, at least not in an alien film. Uh, I kind of wanted it to focus on the aliens that, that we know. And that's not to say you can ever try new things as far as the creatures go, like you did with the, the Queen Alien. But it was a bit too different for me. Like you were saying, it felt a little bit more like something from The Thing as opposed to, you know, aliens. Um, I thought the, the crashing ship bit at the end, which was, was pretty similar, was a little, little strange in the concept of it being on LV-426. Because, I mean, wouldn't the Nostromo see evidence of a human ship 
that had crashed with the derelict there. So so I kind of thought about that. I guess that would have been explained in the the sequel or something like that, hopefully. Overall, though, I think it was it was a bit more well done. The, the things that were irritating that didn't make sense about the final version weren't there, or if they were, they weren't nearly as prominent in this version. And I think overall it, it was just more creative. The characters were more likable in this, even though there was still human drama, there was still conflict. Um, at the same time, like I said, I having read it again recently because I because I saw it before and I, I remember being a bit more pleased with it the first go round, but I saw more of its flaws the second time I went through it. If I would have preferred it, you know, I, I think I would have, but I don't know. Like some of the ideas in there, it's like black goo, locust, uh, they're, they're both kind of shitty, you know? Yeah. So, but overall it was a more solid screenplay. So I pretty much just completely agree with everybody. Um, I do think a the better film lies between the two of them, between yeah. Engineers and Prometheus. I think there's a lot of stuff that Lindelof improved upon, um, specifically David, and um, you know moving it to a different location. Um, but Space had a far more solid and logical foundation in there. It was more interesting. I think I would have liked to have explored the Engineers more. I did like the aspect and the idea of a prototype sort of alien, but I think it got too muddled up and to the point where I'm sort of like half thinking would I have preferred it if they scrapped the traditional alien I had it focus on this sort of prototype version and yeah. how they had Prometheus end on this footnote with the Deacon and instead had alien engineers end on this footnote of the traditional alien so uh, either way I think it would have been quite controversial but I'm sort of half thinking perhaps that would have been a nice way of expanding on the universe with, with this prototype form but still keeping it quite connected at the end um, but yeah I do while I think I think the better film lies between the two of them I do prefer the script as, as an overall experience it does not frustrate the hell out of me like Prometheus did well guys um, it's taken us about three months mostly because I didn't want to do an episode where we just bitched about Prometheus all the time but I think <laughs> I think we're actually quite well behaved on this, even in terms of the comparisons. It's constructive criticism. And we faced quite a few technical issues with this one as well, so this one's been a little bit of a pain in the arse to get out, but hopefully it won't be too noticeable thanks to the magic of editing. But thanks for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this one, and I'm conscious of the fact that it's going to be one of our longer ones. But, you know, hopefully it's it's all good. It's all good stuff, and the length uh, hasn't bothered you guys. Um, we would always like to hear your opinion. Um, you know, is there anything that we didn't really bring up that you'd like to mention? Anything you disagreed with? You know, let us know if you would have preferred this script over Prometheus or if you just think we're blowing air out our asses and Prometheus was just a fine film as it stands. You know, Feel free to let us know. And, and as always, make sure you're following us on Facebook, on Twitter, AVP Galaxy. And while you're at it, you know, check out AVP. Uh, AVP.wikia.com, isn't it? It's uh, AVP.wikia.com. Yeah, there we go. Um... You know, if if you ever want to chat uh, to Huda about it, you know, drop him a message on the boards or something. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to you know get in touch with any comments, any feedback. And thank you very much for listening. So uh, this is Corporal Hicks and Rich Top, Xenomorphine and Huda Fuck signing off. <laughs>